You, you want to see something really scary? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is episode 163 of the Grave Plot Podcast. I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. We are back uh live and in charge or that's not a phrase that's, 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 not, a thing. that's not how it goes at all large and in charge is that is that it that, that sounds it? better yeah has nothing to do with what we're doing but <laughs> but we are large and in charge uh i feel large man quarantine has not been nice or rather i haven't been nice to myself during quarantine <laughs> Man, my weight has fluctuated so much. I like lost weight and then I gained it back. Really? I'm like on the upswing now. I don't like it. Yeah, I've, I've, I've basically like all the weight I lost when I was being really active at the gym. Uh, I've basically put it all back on. I think I'm eating better because I'm eating at home much more. Mm, y- y- sure. Yeah. Um, I think that, that's why I started losing weight, and then like my body just went, okay, that's as far as we're going in that direction. <laughs> And we burned that match. Like, you can't do nothing and expect to lose that much. Come on. I mean, nutritionists and, you know, personal trainers, they'll all tell you, like, exercise is just how you build muscle. You lose weight by, you know, eating right. So, you just got to build up that muscle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My gym apparently reopened, but, you know, very strict limitations on, on fitness centers. Especially like smaller ones, like um, like yoga studios, they have to maintain uh, three hundred square feet of distance between people. Oh wow! Yeah, so like I don't know how those smaller places are even going to manage unless they start doing it outside or something. Yeah, really. Um, but I know in the in the larger areas or like a you know like the big gyms, which is kind of shitty because through this whole thing, small businesses have been kind of suffering. Um, because they can't really manage what things the way the larger companies do. But, you know, you think of places like Planet Fitness, 24-Hour Fitness, and you know, just those larger gyms, yeah. they don't have to do that 300 square foot. They can not like, it's only, it's either 25% or 50% capacity is what they have to maintain. Um, I can't remember exactly which, but... I think if I mean they have a larger um, um, responsibility to keep their larger facility clean, but still that seems a little little easier, yeah, than keeping three hundred square feet between people. Because really, I mean, like I was I was reading this news story. I think it was a yoga studio, and they said you know in a, in a place where we typically have like fifteen to twenty students. Um, we can only have like three or five or three to five. Yeah. I was going to say like seven or 300 square feet is like, if you have like a, you know, 800 square foot studio, 
<laughs> That's like three people. Yeah, exactly. Including so. the instructor. Right. So, but I mean, it's regardless, you know, it's, it's nice that those places are actually able to bring at least some money back in. Yeah. Um, but, you know, our, our governor, and I think it's pretty much starting to be, be the case around the country and around the world even is um, because assholes just continue to be assholes that our governor has basically put the brakes on our reopening. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, we're pretty much paused indefinitely. Yeah, and that's the thing. Indefinitely. He has no, like, he's not saying, you know, oh, in, you know, in su- such and such amount of weeks or months, we'll reassess it. It's just like, right now, we're just on hold. Yeah, just be happy we're not going backwards. Yeah. Because a lot of states are. Yeah. I mean, yet. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah, see. Yet. Right. Uh, I just uh, read the other day that uh, our neighboring county, because we're in the Seattle area, which is King County, um, and just south of us is Pierce County, um, where you know people not from Washington, you may have heard of Tacoma. Um, uh, it's in that uh, um, Steve Miller band song, right? I was just thinking <laughs> that. <laughs> um, it uh, that you know that's where Pierce County is, and I just uh, read that they have their first report of um, a child, or a, 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 the death of a child with, you know, COVID really. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's another thing is like the, the COVID related thing. You've got all these people trying to argue that, um, you know, somebody dies of a heart attack, but if they had, you know, COVID, then they it's reported as a COVID death. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's how you do it. <laughs> it's like, because like somebody with like, uh, HIV AIDS, if they die of, uh, like pneumonia, pneumonia, most, most likely, yeah, pneumonia, um, or other, some other kind of respiratory issue or, um, or a heart attack even, I think, um, you know, they, they don't report that as a, as death. I mean, on the death certificate, let's say death by pneumonia, but it's chalked up as, oh yeah, there's another death for, for AIDS, you know? Yeah. Um, that's that's how things are measured. It's like, yeah, COVID is not going to be the cause of death. The symptom is going to be the cause of death. Yeah. And, you know, I just I love these fucking people. It's mostly the, like the anti-maskers and the people that just said that COVID was a, a hoax from the beginning. Uh, you know, trying to spout this. It's not even pseudoscience because there's no scientific basis whatsoever. Well, they saw a video on YouTube, <laughs> and then YouTube took it down because they didn't want us to know the truth. Right. Oh, yeah. Not well, because it's spewing false bullshit, but no, it's to hide it from us. They don't want us to know because about Because Google is in on it. Right. They don't want us to know about the demon sperm. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a high-level <clears throat> government cover-up initiated by the, the Rothschilds and... The Rockefellers. The Rockefellers. <laughs> and the Illuminati. And Q- QAnon has all the answers, guys. I tell you what. Can we not say Can we ban that word from this show? Can we ban it from existence? I, I think they need to be labeled a terrorist organization myself. But I mean, if the IRA is considered a terrorist organization, I feel like QAnon should be as well. I'm pretty sure QAnon has killed more people than Antifa, so... You're telling me about uh, 
something going on in the WWE the other day. Yeah, they on uh, SmackDown they they unveiled their new faction, uh, Redemption. No, Retribution. Retribution. And it's it's very clearly inspired by Antifa. Ugh. It's like I think six people, and they just like ran out of the crowd with weapons, and they all wear ski masks and black hoodies. And like Michael Cole is like, they have weapons. And all I could think of was always sunny. And they're like, we will crush your skull with our weapons. <laughs> <laughs> but they just like chased everybody out from ringside and spray painted. They, they have like hockey boards up around the ring and they like spray painted those. And then they cut the ring ropes with a chainsaw. And they're all like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The best dumb. part, though, is that it seems to have pissed off people on both sides of the aisle. Really? Because, like, the people on the left are like, you're making Antifa look bad. You're making them heels. You know, you're making them look like they're all rioters. And the people on the right are like, how dare you glorify Antifa? (laughs) So we might not be seeing them again. (laughs) Hopefully not. I was telling you, you were telling me this, and I'm like, you know, the WWE, or maybe even just SmackDown or, or Raw, or WWE as an organization should get some kind of Guinness World Record for the longest running, you know, TV franchise that has jumped the shark the <laughs> most times and continued to run. Because like like that's just the latest in a, in a in a in a barrage <laughs> of ridiculous stupid storylines that are completely fucking tone deaf. Well, yeah. I mean, the whole wrestling industry has been built on these like you know political and racial and everything stereotypes mm-hmm. like look at glow like glow's you know a glaring example of you know you've got welfare queen and the the terrorist character and yeah there's just all these horrible tropes and stereotypes and it's like that's i mean you know um uh oh fuck what was his name muhammad hassan like he was supposed to have a finishing move called the box cutter after 9-11 like you said, tone deaf. Like Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it's it's like an episode of Always Sunny when they were when they did yeah. start the wrestling rink. Um, and I mean, like, I think of it like the stables, like uh, like the Nation of Domination. It's like that may have sounded empowering, but you look at like it in in practice, it's just it's racist, like up and down. So there's this new group called the Hurt Business, okay, led by MVP. I don't know if you remember him. Um, <clears throat> His name is familiar. I can't. But it's like all black guys. And the, the rumor was that they were going to start a new nation of domination. And people were like, not now. Not This is not the time. Bad idea. <laughs> Maybe never. Maybe never do it. And like, you know that they would not do it right. No. You know why? Because the company's run by two fucking billionaire rich white guys. <laughs> One of whom is like in his 70s and seems to be losing his mind. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah. Shit's crazy, guys. <laughs> anyway, Taylor, how are you? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. What's, what's new? What's new in your life? Not much. Had a birthday, like we talked about last episode. Yep. We, uh, we did that uh, virtual escape room, which was really cool. Yeah. Uh, like... <clears throat> We we did it through our Hourglass Escapes, and you know we were buddies with them. They sponsored last year's uh, um, film festival, and uh, you know we we have a review of their Evil Dead room on our website. 
Um, but yeah, they started doing virtual rooms, mm-hmm. which is something that was just like I don't know if it was something that existed beforehand. I mean, they didn't do it beforehand. I don't know if the, if the idea existed. I'm sure it probably did in some capacity, I but guess, it's definitely yeah. much bigger now that people can't leave their homes. Yeah, but you know, just the concept it sounded like something that just couldn't possibly work. It would have been clunky as hell, but it actually worked out really well. Yeah. Um I definitely think like if we had been there, we could have done it much faster. We we did finish it, of course. Um naturally. <laughs> but like, you know, if we were there, we could have spread out, you know, it cuz it's it's one person. Yeah. And you're just like, you know, looking through their eyes basically. And uh but so it's there was six of us and we're all telling this one person what to do. Whereas mm-hmm. if we were there, we could have spread out. We could have yelled things across the room at each other and do more than one thing at once. Yeah. On the, on the flip side, you know, with a different frame of mind though, if we were forced to, forced to kind of focus our, our thoughts in a single direction. True. But, um, yeah, I don't know how much faster we would have finished it if we were there in person. I think we had, you said we had like two minutes left. Was it, yeah. Something when we were almost out of time, but um, anyway, yeah, that was fun. Um, it was the the tale of the ghostly galleon or something, mm-hmm. um, which was I, th- I thought they were not doing that room anymore, but I don't know if maybe because of COVID they held off or something. Probably, uh, but it's fun. Yeah, I um, recommend it. Yeah, I mean, like I. I almost want to do Evil Dead, but you know we've already done it. We already know how to solve it. So, um, anyway, yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, uh, did you do anything else? I mean, I know you can't go anywhere, but we you know. went camping. That's right. I burnt the shit out of my hand. Doing what? Trying to move our uh, skillet because mm. we have these like um, silicone potholder things, uh-huh. but they're shaped like this on the bottom. Why? So it doesn't cover bottom of your hand and so the like handle of the skillet hit my hand oh well ain't that a bitch it didn't feel great i'll bet uh cool yeah i was telling you like all the places we went up north and there's all these places around there that are, that are like if you're not wearing a mask we'll just assume that you have an ada <laughs> exemption i'm just like that's not how that's supposed to work right <laughs> fucking ridiculous it's just, it's it's amazing how different everything, like, if you go outside of, like, the Puget Sound area, for the most part, um, everything gets very bumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, everyone thinks of Washington as this extremely blue state, but like Tony said, that really is just kind of like the Puget Sound area, but that's where all the people are. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we we in, in King County especially are so packed tight. That we're practically living on top of each other, um, but then yeah, you go outside of uh, outside of the Se- immediate Seattle area, and it, I mean it's it's much less dense, it's much more rural, which typically comes with a very red population. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's the case for I'd say, as far as area, uh, probably about ninety, maybe even ninety five percent of the state. But, but as Taylor said, that's where most of the people reside. So go us, <laughs> right? <clears throat> it's funny, all the people on the other side of the mountain. They're just like, oh, we're so we're so sick of Seattle dictating what happens in this state. It's like, well, maybe we should come live in Seattle then. <laughs> um, like we said, that's where the people are. Like, what do you, what do you want? Like, 
Well, that's that's the argument for like the electoral college and stuff is like people with with smaller populations, so they have an equal say. It's like they shouldn't have an equal say because there are less people there. Well, they should have an equal say. One person, one vote. That should be the equal. Well, <laughs> yes, that's that's what I'm saying. Is like you're just because you don't have as many people in your area doesn't mean your vote should uh, land. Count, land count shouldn't more. get to vote. Yeah, cows shouldn't get to vote. Like. It's, ridiculous um it's like you want to move to a place where or if you want to vote in a place where you're where uh you have uh more influence on your vote then move to a more uh densely popula- populated area or something i don't know or don't i don't care <laughs> actually don't we don't want you <laughs> <laughs> all as i'm saying is that the Electoral College is a fucking con job. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, we have a very special episode today. Uh, this is our salute, sort of, <laughs> to H.P. Lovecraft. Let's say to the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Okay, because we don't want to <laughs> salute him as a person. No. He's kind of a piece of trash yeah um but you know his but he's dead so fuck him <laughs> <laughs> but there's no denying how influential his works have been um to you know sci- not only to just the literary um world but to um horror and sci-fi in general um seems like especially more and more often you're seeing a lot of people come out with you know movies that are very clearly influenced by him in like if, at least thematically. Yeah, I'm getting real sick of the word Lovecraftian at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's getting thrown around for like any word or any movie that's like sticky, <laughs> <laughs> or any movie that has like tentacles. Yeah, um, yeah. Is I don't know. I'm I'm not a big Lovecraft fan. I've never actually read any Lovecraft uh, books. Um. I've seen a lot of movies based on Lovecraft movies. Um, and, uh, I mean, like, Reanimator is probably one of my favorite movies. Um, and, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording. It's like, I am not familiar with his work outside of what I've seen in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in cases like Reanimator or, um, you know, like Dagon... Or in in the case of like these two movies that we're talking about today, um, I had never read the books, but because I saw the movie, it's like okay, I want to at least learn a little bit about the the uh, the influence, you know, the source material. Um, so you kind of read up on it. Don't I haven't actually read the books still, but I kind of know the backstory and kind of where where these films came from and how they translate back to the books. Um, but anyway, we, I mean, we were supposed to have two kind of self-proclaimed Lovecraft experts today who aren't here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, um, our, our buddy Max and his wife Avalon were supposed to be on the show today. Um, they're big Lovecraft fans. You know, we had them on earlier this year, right? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, wasn't. 
think so. I don't remember. This this <laughs> recently. <laughs> Time is a construct. <laughs> Uh, yeah, re- semi-recently, and that was originally supposed to be our Lovecraft episode, but one of the movies we're talking about wasn't out yet, so we had to change gears. And we were supposed to do this one a while ago, but then COVID happened, and right. so we couldn't do anything in person, so we didn't know. Like, it didn't seem worth it to try and do four people remotely. And Yeah, and, and like I think Max and Avalon, they, they don't really have a setup that's uh, friendly to, to two people. Um. You know, we we did our two person remote videos or uh, shows, but three or four. I don't know. It just gets messy. It gets, yeah, it gets messy. Um, because it sucks because it's all reliant on the individual person's internet speed. Yeah, like actually, everyone's because if your upload speed or download speed is slow, then you're either slow to everyone else or everyone else is slow to you, or both. And so it's just sloppy. That's why that's like our episodes typically take me like a two, three hours to edit. Like it would take me two nights of of work, probably like two to three, maybe even four hours a night to edit our episodes because we had to get them synced up. Yeah, there was I mean, there was a few times when you would text me on uh Tuesday night and be like, Yeah, this ain't happening. Right. <laughs> uh Anyway, um, but yeah, so today we're going to be talking about, um, uh, what is it, Cthulhu from 2007 and uh, The Color Out of Space, which is brand new, sort of. Not anymore. <laughs> it's been out for a little while. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want to talk about before we go into things, Taylor? I mean, I do want to remind people that uh, submissions are now open for the Great Plot Film Fest 2021. Uh, things are very much up in the air with that right now. Uh, we don't know where it's going to be. There's a strong possibility it won't be at the same venue that it's been at for the past two years. We are exploring our options. Uh, there is still the possibility of it being an online film festival. I think we're leaning towards that at this point. It's probably, that's probably going to be the case just because, you know, even though it's seven months away, six months away. Um, <laughs> things don't appear to be getting better. So, <laughs> um, we're not trending in the right direction. So it's, it's very possible that nothing is going to be open still by February. But, um, like I said, we're exploring every option, um, including like we're, I, I don't want to give anything away, but we're just trying to get creative with some stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, submissions are open now, uh, 15 minutes or less, any subgenre of horror, so go check out uh, greatplotfilmfest.com for more information. Hope to see lots of stuff from lots of places. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, we're going to try, regardless of what we do, whether it's in person or online, we're going to try and provide the same kind of fun atmosphere, um, kind of laid back. You know, anybody listening to the show for a long time knows that we're not exactly the most structured <laughs> bunch. And that kind of translates into our film festival a little bit. But I think that people kind of appreciate that, that we're a little more laid back and not as um, film festival-ish. We're, we're very average Joes doing above average things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, hey, let's do that today. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. We'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> Can't be that hard. <laughs> 
All right. Um, so before we jump into things, I want to thank our grave diggers over on Patreon. Uh, these folks uh, very graciously donate their money every month to keep this show running. Um, it's not an expensive show that we operate here, but it does cost a little bit of scratch. And we don't make a lot of money ourselves, so it's nice to have that little buffer um, to keep things going. Uh, those people are Jordan Morrison, Kevin Trent, Carlos Rodella, Gory B. Movie, Max Zaleski, Aaron Meyer, and Bob Voorhees. Thank you so much for your help, guys. It means the world to us, and uh, it, it you know does go a long way to uh, keeping us going. And keeping us bring, keeping us bringing you this quality uh, content every two weeks. Yep, and sometimes on Patreon itself. <laughs> hey, we did release uh, a our our July two thousand nineteen uh, <laughs> Patreon video for Black Christmas that just went up. Yeah, that was uh, brought to us by Lance Dale. Um, yeah, I mean we're we haven't really publicize them because we've been so far behind but that is still we do still have a cache of them yeah we, we still have three more i think that sounds right um i gotta find out where they are because they're not in my head i'm like i don't know where those are right now oh god <laughs> well, i'll find them <laughs> maybe <laughs> but uh, i am i am trying to work on getting those out i have a, a nicer computer now that does the work that it's supposed to so, and then we can get back to doing them regularly. Yeah. Anyway, and those are movies chosen by the Grave Diggers. Yeah, which is every month. That's the f- that's any tier, right? Any tier. Yeah. As low as one dollar. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So Taylor, if anybody else wants to join the party, where can they go? They can go to Patreon.com/slash Grave Plot Podcast. And I'll go ahead and throw this out there right now. Uh, whether in person or online, if you're a Patreon, you're coming to the festival for free. So. Yeah, fuck it. Um, yeah, like I said, as little as $1 gets you some exclusive content. Um, $5 gets your name in the show. $100 gets a tattoo of a fat unicorn on my ass. His ass is waiting, guys. My ass is ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we get started with the show? Let's on with the show. On with the show, this is it. Okay, let's jump into some horror business. All right, starting out with some real world horror. Um, kind of a story that's actually kind of apt for what we're going to be talking about later on relevant to one of our movie selections yeah it's it's strikingly similar um so uh all the way down in paraguay or over where the fuck is paraguay (laughs) europe isn't it yes right no god damn it (laughs) isn't it south america stupid fucking american (laughs) it's next to uruguay (laughs) Right, but isn't Uruguay in Europe too? I swear they're in South America. You're probably right. I'm just a fucking idiot. Yes, South America. Good, because oh. I was not 100% on that. <laughs> so the seas of doubt. <laughs> All right, down in Paraguay, 
Uh, they have lagoons, as we do here. You know lagoons. You've seen them. Not to be confused with legumes. No. <laughs> which are peanuts. <laughs> right? Well, peanuts are legumes. All peanuts are legumes. Not all legumes are peanuts. Right. Some of them are cashews. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, is cashew... No, cashew's not a legume. Stop saying things you don't know. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, because, you know, peanuts, they grow underground... Because they're they're kind of like basically pea, uh, um, beans, essentially. The peanut is neither a pea <laughs> nor a nut. <laughs> oh wait, it is a nut. <laughs> but no, peanuts they grow underground uh, like beans do. Um, but cashews grow on trees, so I don't know if they're necessarily the same. They look similar have a somewhat similar taste, but I don't... I don't no, know. peanuts are the only nut that are a legume. Other legumes include alfalfa, clover, chickpeas, lentils, carob. Well, there you go. Tamarind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're educating people today. Now you know that Uruguay and Paraguay are both in South America. <laughs> and now you know several examples of legumes. <laughs> Impress your friends. <laughs> Never say we didn't teach you nothing. Okay. Um, so, uh, a lagoon down in Paraguay, uh, the, specifically the Cerro Lagoon, uh, half of it suddenly turned purple. That's a weird thing to happen. A little bit, yeah. It's not even a natural color. No. <laughs> it's like if it turned like green or brown, you'd be like, oh, that's weird, but you know, whatever. Yeah, I've seen that happen before. Yeah, sure. This shit happens. But which uh, if it turned brown, it's probably what I would. As I say, it's probably probably shit. Yeah. Exactly, it's probably poop. <laughs> <laughs> but if it turns purple, you know you got to think it's either some kind of purple th- thing, purple stuff that's turning it purple, or it's a mixture of a blue thing and a red thing mixing together. Those are two colors that don't exist naturally in water. No, unless it's like. A fish or a coral or something like that. Right. Uh, but scientists in Paraguay have been investigating how one side of the divided Cerro Lagoon uh, turned purple and began emitting a foul odor months ago. So they've just been dealing with this. While the other side has remained blue. Why is the other side blue? Like water blue? I assume so. Okay. <clears throat> How does it look? Paraguay is a landlocked country. How does it have a lagoon? I don't know. I mean, isn't a lagoon like seawater? I don't know if that's hard and fast, but. Uh, What? Lagoon bean? No, Google, you're thinking of legume. (laughs) Idiot. A uh, shallow body of water separated from a larger body of water by barrier islands or reefs. Okay. I mean, whatever. It's weird that uh, fresh water would be blue. I suppose, yeah. I mean, it seems like fresh water to me is typically like kind of greenish color or brown. Yeah. But what do I know? I'm just an idiot um, who doesn't know where fucking Paraguay is. 
Uh, residents noticed that one side changed color several months ago. Uh, the lagoon's fish and birds began dying. Uh, and they alerted local environmental authorities to investigate. That's a long time to just kick back and watch weird shit happen. That is weird. Weird, wild stuff. That's very purple. It is purple. It's like Grimace purple. Yep. <laughs> um. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah, that's like saying, hey, Doc, I got this growth on my arm. It happened a few months ago, but <laughs> just it just keeps getting bigger, so I thought maybe <laughs> you should take a look at it. Um. Uh, three months ago, all the fish died in the lagoon, thousands and thousands of them. Uh, Hermina Meza, who is a resident, uh, told AP, uh, the smell was unbearable and we were overwhelmed by flies. About a month ago, the herons died and it turned a reddish color. I mean, I think that's where your smell is coming from. Yeah. I mean, I would think it was, it'd be some like, um... I don't know, like uh, like uh, sulfur or something, like some underground deposit of sulfur that kind of leaked into the lake. Or, but I don't know why that would make it red, or you know, or purple in this case, I guess. But I, I mean, like sulfur in a in a standing body of water would kill fish and you know and wildlife living in the water, and I guess if it was high enough potency. Would kill like birds and stuff drinking the water. Um, and it would, if it smelled like rotting eggs, that would explain the smell. Yeah. Um, but there's no indication that that's what it smells like. And, you know, you'd think that if that was the case, they'd be able to easily identify, hey, this is a sulfur problem. Like, you, you think, yeah. yeah, scientists would go out there and be like, hmm, smells like sulfur. <laughs> I mean, it's probably pollution. Could be. But this is a horror podcast, so we're going to speculate wildly on things that it's definitely not. Yeah. Like, it's like aliens. Yeah, like a weird meteor from like space. I, I'm not saying it's aliens, but aliens. aliens. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is particularly spooky after watching Color Out of Space because it's very similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thoughts, Taylor? What do you think? Um. I mean, it's cool looking, <laughs> but considering it's not natural, they probably don't want to keep it that way. Right. Yeah. Cause they probably want it the way it was before. Cause that's the way they've had it for so long. What if it's just like in Boston when they dye the river green? It's just, but that's a river. It flows out. Yeah. Maybe so they didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to celebrate the holiday by dyeing the lake or the lagoon purple. It'll fade, right? Right, <laughs> guys. Let's use old cow's blood to dye it. <laughs> no, that's a terrible idea. Oh, well, I already did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna stink. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I hope this is not like a water supply or something. Because oh yeah, really? I mean, they'd have to drink the other side, and that that may not last. It's true. <laughs> Don't drink the purple water.
Okay, so this first story is one that like went under everyone's radar, and I don't think as many people are as nearly excited about it as I am. I this is the first I'm hearing of it, and it's pretty cool. So they are making a television adaptation of the movie Stay Tuned. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know, Stay Tuned was from 1992, starred the late John Ritter. R.I.P. One love. Um, in it, him and his family get sucked into an evil television where, uh, what's his name? Jeffrey something? Jab, 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 What the fuck? Yep, 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 yep. Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. He he tries to diddle the kids. Diddle kids. No, but he plays the devil. And Pam Dauber from... Mark and Mindy. Yeah, she plays his wife. Your your cousin got a sweet spot for her. Sweet spot for her. Really? I think so. Never heard that. That, so- that sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> but they get sucked into this TV and they they go through all these. It's it's basically hell or purgatory. Yeah. And they go through all these different channels and just get tortured, um, including a, a a great Three's Company reference. Oh yeah. God, I have not seen that movie in fucking forever. This is one of those movies that, like, similar to Nothing But Trouble, where people are just like, that movie is complete dog shit. And I'm like, that movie is fucking awesome. (laughs) You're an asshole. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is coming from AMC Studios. Uh, Hails from Fear the Walking Dead co-showrunner and executive producer Ian Goldberg and writer-producer Richard Neng who will write the series, part of Goldberg's overall deal at AMC. Uh, Morgan Creek Entertainment, who, of course, produced the Major League movies. <laughs> um, you know, you've seen them. <laughs> and produced the original movie. Uh, they're executive producing. Goldberg and Ning previously worked together on Dead of Summer, which lasted for one season on Freeform, which is not a, a great, uh, great claim to fame. Never. He also co-wrote the movie Eli. Which you and Silas did on an episode that I was not on. Yeah, it was okay. But they also wrote the autopsy of Jane Doe. Which is pretty good. Which was very good. So they're kind of hit and miss. Yeah. Looks like in, well, you know. I think mostly on the miss side. (laughs) But whatever. But I mean, they've got great content to work off of here, so. Yeah, it's just a shame that they can't have John Ritter or Jeffrey Jones in it. Is that a shame they can't have Jeffrey Jones? Well, yeah, because Jeffrey Jones was funny, but he, he also kids. fucks kids. So, which is not funny. It's not funny. Don't don't diddle, diddle kids. kids. <laughs> Wouldn't do it with anyone younger than my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I found this story because someone else was reporting that Deadline uh, briefly mentioned some Stephen King adaptation. And they were like, yeah, it was lost in a story about a Stay Tuned series. And I was like, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Like I said, this is one of those movies that gets shit on. Critics hate it. But it's just dumb fun. Yeah, it's it's got a... I mean, the movie... I, I can't speak for the TV show. I don't know where that's going to go. I don't know if it's going to be worth a shit. But the movie has a great cast, for starters. I mean, John Ritter, 
Eugene Levy, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Jones, Pan Dauber, all, you know, I mean, I think John Ritter at the time was still mostly known for TV. Same with Pan Dauber. Um, but Jeffrey Jones I th- had already been in um, Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Eugene Levy was, you know, probably mostly known for uh, SCTV at the time. But hilarious fucking people. And like, oh, and J- Don Calfa, I forgot he was in that. Who's that? Uh, character actor. Look him up. You probably recognize him. Um, but yeah, just hilarious people doing hilarious things. Like I don't know how you could hate this movie. <laughs> like it's it's goofy as shit, and there's like no real plot. It's just kind of bouncing from channel to channel, yeah. doing hilarious things. But that like why is that bad? Yeah, this was like kind of. It's not high t- cinema by any stretch of the imagination, it, but yeah. It wasn't meant to be. It was a little bit of a social commentary at, at the same time. This was kind of, you know, in the, the mid to late 80s when, or actually early 90s, I think. 92. 90, okay, yeah. Well, you know, when American families was, they were really starting to like focus their lives around the TV. And so it was just kind of, uh, like I said, sort of a social commentary on that. Not Nothing too uh, hard-nosed, but. And John Ritter rocks the sweet Supersonics hat. So, oh yeah, it takes place in Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, it's got Captain Lou Albano in it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you can watch this easily anywhere. That's a good question because I want to. <laughs> oh, it's on Prime. Oh yeah. I know what I'm doing tonight, <laughs> right? <laughs> anyway, cool. Looking forward to this. We don't have a, any kind of. We don't have anything for anything right now, Tony. Yeah. We have, we have things are announced and then we wait. <laughs> Cuz that's all we can do at this point. You guys just sit back. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> as soon as they let us get in the same room together, <laughs> we're going to do it. It's uh, you know, you got productions that are starting to get back in the gear, but you know, with you know, precautions being taken, it's it's just weird to yeah. see. Okay, let's move on. So we've got uh, a new horror anthology coming out. Um, you know, I think they're, those are gaining a lot more popularity as of late because we've got so many people that are out, you know, either self-financing or, you know, doing like Indiegogo's, Kickstarters to finance their short films. And then you just pick the best ones and you put them all together for an hour and a half or two hours. Yeah, make a little wraparound story. Yeah. Uh, it's a cheap way to make a feature film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only thing that, that is off about it is that they had they tend to have such different styles yeah that it, it uh it's not really cohesive true think of something like uh like all hallows eve um where it was all damien leone um wait yeah that yeah. was all him the second one wasn't right um but yeah they were, they were all filmed very similarly even though they're different stories you know different different types of stories they were all very similar in feeling, I guess. But you can also, you can work around that with your wraparound story. You know, like you could have it be, you know, like VHS tapes or something. Yeah, yeah. 
So you make make an excuse for why each one is different. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, this one's going to be called A Night of Horror, uh, colon, Nightmare Radio. Uh, it's coming out on On Demand and DVD on September 1st. Um, coming out from Lu- Luciano Onetti and Nicholas Onetti. Uh, all other filmmakers involved are Sergio Morcillo, uh, Joshua Long, Jason bon- Bognacki, Adam O'Brien, Matt Richards, A.J. Briones, Pablo S. Pastor, and Oliver Park. Um, anybody who's been to the Grave Plot Film Fest uh, will recognize the name Pablo S. Pastor uh, as the guy who directed Bye Bye Baby, who won the uh, Minos Award, which is like the, uh, the selection committee's award. Um, I really like that one. That was good. I really, yeah. Um, I remember the two standouts for me that year were, were that and, um, uh, um, I'm having a fucking brain fart here. Uh, Hangman. Oh, yeah. Those just had those like really 80s throwback feels and like they like really jumped head first into it. And I I liked that a lot. Um, let's see. Uh, Rod, a radio DJ who hosts a popular horror themed show packed with tales of terror for eager listeners. Uh, when he receives alarming calls from a horrified child, things start to feel off. Uh, what ensues is a roller coaster ride of horror stories. Um, so Pablo Espestor is directing a new film, but also another uh, film from uh, not not this year's film festival, but last year's Great Plot Film Fest, Gotas. Uh, is going to be showing or is going to be involved in this as well. So we've got two um, Grave Plot alums. That, that was from uh, Sergio Marcio. He was the guy who made Gotas. You are correct, sir. <laughs> you are correct, sir. <laughs> Which I had, uh, I want to say, I think it was Steve from Bone Bat came up to me afterwards and he was just like, I really like that one, Gotas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're always trying to rip our shit off. <laughs> I swear, both film festivals, he's up to me, he's like, oh, there's a couple in there I want to try and get for Bone Bat. I'm like, oh, or you can get your own. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like... Uh, Especially this year, because I feel like there was more horror comedies than this year. We've gone... Let's see. We went that year, one year to, together. No, we've gone twice, right? Yeah. Together, yeah. yeah. Um, and... One one year we went before we started ours, and then the next year we started. We went and we was after we'd started ours, um, and it's funny to see how many repeats we saw. Yeah, just I mean because you know our festivals. Uh, what do we go for? Three hours, three and a half hours. Yeah, it's I mean it's four hours total. Right, but yeah, three and a half hours of of films. Three hours, yeah, three and a quarter. Sure. Um, but they go for fucking like what, like eight? ten hours. Yeah, or like it's like it's an all day thing. So did you, see, mean, did you see they got a new date? Uh, I saw that they're doing uh, yeah an online festival. Oh, is it online? Yeah, I figured as much. But yeah, it's going to be in October. Just sneaking our ideas again. That's going to be two days. That's a lot of festival. I mean, that's a, that's actually an actual festival. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they also have like live music and shit. 
We should do ours like right the day before theirs. <laughs> <laughs> and show all the same movies. <laughs> For free. It's like, oh, what? Your guys was today? Oh, man. <laughs> um, anyway. But yeah, so September 1st, check it out. That was pretty interesting to see come across our email. Because it wasn't like, hey, here's some movies from the film festival. It was just like, here's, you know, because we always get these emails, um, you know, from different distribution companies trying to get us to watch stuff. And mm-hmm. this one came through and I was like, um, I recognized the the thumbnail that they had sent, but it wasn't from one of ours. Mm-hmm. But then like, as I'm looking through the different films that are in, I'm like, wait a minute, I know some of these. Yeah. Um, which felt pretty cool. Yeah. We get some good shit. <laughs> that, that first year, I mean, I, I was as impressed second year, but first year, you know, just all the submissions we got. And it's like, we dug through. I don't, I don't like to judge people for their efforts because everybody has different capabilities and, you know, budgets. budgets and, yeah. But there was a lot of shit in there. <laughs> There's also like the fact that ours is an international festival and I feel like there, you know, there's an obvious language barrier. Mm -hmm. And so we got some stuff that was just like not horror at all. There was some stuff that looked like it was like people testing animation. Right. (laughs) I was just like, I don't know what this is. (laughs) I'm going to say no. (laughs) Um, But, you know, first year, because we didn't have an entry fee, we got a lot. Of shit. And we had to dig through all of it. Uh, but, um, you know, the good stuff was really fucking good. And I was really impressed. Not only with the filmmakers, but with us. <laughs> <laughs> that we could actually draw, you know, some some good shit to, to our little no-name festival. Yeah, like first year, you would think that it's like you, you have this expectation that it's going to be just, you know first time filmmakers and mm-hmm. people with not a lot of experience and don't really know what they're doing. They're just like, Oh, well this, this is a first time film. So there's no cachet or there's no expectations here. So also go ahead and submit here. Yeah. But no, there was, there was some really good stuff. Yeah. And you know, Gotas and bye bye baby were both real standouts, uh, um, in our festival. So, you know, if that's representative of what else is going to be on this, then I'd say it's worth a worth a watch. So, have you watched Host on Shutter? I have not. I keep It's one of those things it's like I see everybody talking about it. And she's like, oh, I should check that out. And then I just forget. <laughs> yeah, I know Max has. So, you know, uh, it would have been good to have him on this episode. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, the filmmakers behind Host, which if, if you're not familiar with Host, I think we talked about it two episodes ago or maybe even last episode. I don't know. We talked about it at some point, but it's entirely shot on Zoom. Right. And I know... Do we talk? We've talked about this on the show. Yeah, yeah, and I think we were both like, "What the fuck?" 
Yeah, but I mean, people are raving about it. Yeah, which is really surprising considering how many people shit on just like shit all over, like unfriended, which doesn't seem like it's that different. Yeah, <laughs> thematically at least. Um, but I haven't seen hosts, so I guess I can't really speak with any kind of uh, knowledge. Right. Well, the filmmakers who made it, uh, Rob Savage, the director, and the co-writer Jed Shepard. Savage. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) Rob Savage uh, and co-writer Joe Shepard. They recently appeared on... (laughs) (laughs) It's PH. It says Shepard, right? Um, Shepard. They recently appeared on the Boo Crew podcast, and they were promoting their next movie. I mean, I'm sure they were promoting this one, too, because this one's already out and they can actually get people to watch it. But they did talk about uh, their next one. They said, we've got a great script that we're really excited about. It's not a spoiler to say that it's in this similar supernatural space, but it pushes in a much different direction from host. It's one of those ideas where you hear it. It's very simple. And you're amazed that nobody's ever done it before. When we first talked about it, we immediately Googled and we couldn't believe that nobody happened upon this idea before. It feels so fundamental in the way that it tackles the horror genre. Well, I'd love to know what he's talking about because, like, every time I think about, like, hey, it'd be cool to write a horror script. What could I do that's never done before? Never been done before. And it's like, everything. Everything's been done. I mean, I'm sure you could find something, but it would be so outlandish and stupid. (laughs) There's, like, uh, evil uh, lizards fall out of the sky. That sounds pretty Fun. terrible. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> But have you seen it before? No, no, I haven't. See, there you go. Um, he continues, so we're really hoping that when the world goes back to normal, that'll be the next thing we do outside of the found footage genre. So the way he says, the next thing we do outside of the found footage genre makes me believe it's not the next thing they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why people just keep going back to the found footage well. I realize it's easy, but... Well, especially now. Yeah. When you can't get people on a set, it's really easy to do found footage. It's true. And I don't I mean, is he considering host found footage? I I would. I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's dependent on how it's presented. Like like again, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But it could be like presented as if like this was a recording that we're now watching or in the case of like unfriended where it's something that you're supposed to be like watching live as it happens. Yeah. So I, I mean, found know. footage is the, the definition of it has changed from being, you know, found footage true to just being like anything that's not professionally filmed. Yeah. Uh, speaking about a recent table read of the script, Savage notes <laughs> <laughs> working with Sam Raimi is an absolute dream for both of us. He's a filmmaker who really inspired us. How original. <laughs> Um, Let me guess. You also really like John Carpenter. (laughs) And you're big fans of Stephen King. Burned. Burned them all. Got them. (laughs) Boom. Roasted. (laughs) Uh, But interesting that they're apparently working with Sam Raimi. I'm wondering if that means it's going to be like a Ghost House Pictures production. Hard to say. I mean, say he's working with... They say they're working with him. Like, there's no context to that. It's like, hey, we stopped him in an elevator. Like, hey, what do you think about this? Like, well, it's fine. <laughs> Working. Got him. 
He's on board. <laughs> Put that on the poster. It's fine. Sam Raimi. <laughs> that it? That's it. Okay. Oh, could be cool. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Like I said, if, if Max was here, he could, you know, tell us about hosts, but but no. Apparently other things are more important than his friends. <laughs> So this story is news to me, um, so I'm going to be learning along with you guys. Good. That always goes well. <laughs> Stephen King is, you know, Stephen King is in his 60s, his late 60s, if I'm not mistaken, and he's still a writing machine. Like, he still puts out at least a book a year, sometimes two. Um, Man, I just... Every time I just picture the family guy when he's like, it's a uh, lamp monster. <laughs> and he goes like, I have it on my desk by Friday. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> um, he's just like, it'll sell. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, just put my name on it. Um, okay. Anyway, but he is going to be releasing a new novel uh, that quote has echoes of it of what you know it it (laughs) (laughs) um it's called later later gator that's what's called it's not called later gator (laughs) (laughs) and it's set to be published on march 2nd next year um it's apparently already available for Available for pre-order on Amazon. It's probably already being optioned off for film rights. Oh, you know it is. Um, it's uh, see, the book is being billed as a pulpy crime thriller. Uh, it's part of Titan Books' hard case crime series uh, that also includes previous Stephen King novels, The Colorado Kid and Joyland. Joyland. I'm f- I'm familiar with the titles of those books, but I've never read them, so I don't I can't speak on them. Um, the page page count is 256, which seems small for you know short for a Stephen King book. That's what I thought. Uh, Maybe it's just really tiny letters. <laughs> uh, later, we'll tell the story of a son, or the son of a struggling single mother. Uh, named Jamie Conklin, just wants an ordinary childhood. But Jamie is no ordinary child. Born with an unnatural ability, his mom urges him, urges him to keep secret. Jamie can see what no one else sees and can see and learn what no one else can learn. The Shining. <laughs> I mean, I assume we're talking about The Shining, but that's cryptic as fuck. Uh, but the cost of using this ability is higher than Jamie can imagine as he discovers when an NYPD detective draws him into the pursuit of a killer who has threatened to strike from beyond the grave. Spoopy. I'm not getting the the echoes of it. I wonder, did he say that? Or did somebody else say it? Uh, I think it was in like the press release or whatever. Mm. (laughs) Does it have echoes of it because it's a Stephen King book? 
later is a St- is Stephen King at his finest, a terrifying and touching story of innocence lost and the trials that test our sense of right and wrong. With echoes of King's classic novel, It, okay. later is a powerful, haunting, unforgettable exploration of what it takes to stand up to evil in all the faces it wears. See, that last part sounds like it. Yeah, I mean, I guess the involvement of, of, of a child. Uh, and a supernatural killer, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, uh, Stephen King, he put out a book called The Institute. Um, that was actually pretty good. Uh, it was very f- reminiscent of... Um, uh, I mean, The Shining to a degree, but also uh, Firestarter. Um, remi- reminded me a lot of that, um, which I mean, it's funny because I'm like, this reminds me a lot of Firestarter, which is weird because he wrote that. I'm like, wait, no, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, wait, he didn't write Firestarter? No. Who did? Uh, I don't remember. Isn't doesn't he get credit for it? <laughs> Isn't it considered a Stephen King story? Oh, think so. Like the one with Drew Barrymore? Yeah, that one. I could have sworn that was a Stephen King. Yeah, based on Stephen King's 1980 novel. You're right. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> oh, wait. You know what? I Okay. Sorry. Um, what I had confused was like I thought it was going to end up being a sequel to Firestarter. Oh. Because it was called like the place where they were is called the Institute, the titular institute. Um, um and the the place where the people with telekinetic powers in Firestarter was called the shop. Mm. And that's where I was getting it confused. So you're right. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a Stephen King book. I thought they were gonna be related, but they weren't. Gotcha. <clears throat> um but it was very similar in Tone, I think. Um, Stephen King, he's doing a lot with um, children-led stories. Yeah, uh, and particularly ones with like um, like some kind of psychic ability. Yeah, Um, I mean, obviously it started with The Shining, but talk about the Institute also. um, Firestarter, Carrie. Well, yeah, I mean, those are older ones. Oh. But, um, yeah, I mean, this uh, institute, uh, um, Dr. Sleep, which, you know, was a a little further back, but... It's also a sequel. True. Um, Yeah. And, you know, it's funny with, you know, so many stories in Stephen King's world are connected Either they exist in the same universe or they have overlapping characters. And it's like every time somebody with some kind of psychic ability pops up. Oh, um, uh, the, the Mr. Mercedes. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, series. Series. Thank you. Um, and every time something like that pops up, it's like you have to wonder, it's like, did the person have the shining? Because yeah. he, never, he never says. Right. So anyway, fun stuff. Uh, yeah, and it's it's probably gonna get optioned. It hasn't yet, I don't think. But it's got seven months. Yeah, don't worry, it'll it'll get there. (laughs) 
another th- exciting thing that came across my inbox. Came uh, across my desk. Was uh, a email about a new game from the makers of Mixtape Massacre. Ooh. Uh, Tony and I have talked about Mixtape Massacre before. We had Fred Carlini, one of the one of the creators on the show at one point. Huh? Two of them? Or is it just Freddy? It was just Fred. Uh, it's it's a great game if if you're into board games. I you know even I think if you even took away the slasher aspect of it, I still think it would be a fun game. I think the gameplay works really well. Uh, but yeah, it's all about slashers. You play as slashers. You go around town. And you try to kill all these different people. Hmm. They have a second game called Escape from Tall Oaks, where you play as survivors against the slashers. You can combine the games. They also have several uh, expansion packs out there. But this one is a new standalone game. Wasn't there... Sorry, you said expansion packs. I was thinking of uh, something about the death. Like uh, The Grim Reaper is involved somehow, and I can't... The Black Mask. That, that was just an expansion. That was an expansion. I have that one. Right. I don't have the other. Well, only one is out right now, but there's another one that just got kickstarted. You can pre-order. Mm. Invasion. But like I said, this one is not uh, related to Mixtape Massacre at all. It's a standalone game. It's called Float colon, From the Deep. In this game, when a mysterious explosion sends a cruise ship sinking to the bottom of the sea, five groups of survivors band together in lifeboats and set sail in search of land. But what seemed like an easy expedition quickly goes south with food and water shortages, treacherous storms, and desperation taking over. Worse yet, the creatures from below are beginning to surface and feed. My God. Now, is this all we know about this? Pretty much, yeah. Because this almost sounds like it's an RPG as opposed to an R- um, uh, board game. Hmm. Yeah, like reading that description, I don't know how that translates to a board game. I mean, it sounds very intense for a board game theme. Yeah. <laughs> um, which which lends... Because the, the, the storyline is very detailed, I guess. And so, yeah, it makes me wonder if it is some kind of RPG of one sort or another. <clears throat> But that's pretty ambitious because RPG is a very niche market. It is a tabletop game. That's how it's described on their Facebook. Does that mean board game? Yeah. Okay, because I was, I mean, like I consider like Dungeons and Dragons like a d- tabletop game too. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. We'll find out, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh... Players take on the role as leaders of five small groups of survivors. Manage your rations, your team, and fight off the creatures from the deep as you try to make it through rough waters in hopes of finding land. So, yeah, I mean, that sounds like it could be a very, like, D&D kind of style thing, but... Yeah, it makes me wonder how many players this accommodates. Because if it... I mean... You have five small groups. Like, if you say it's four, that's 20 people. Yeah. Which would really accommodate more of a, a larger group like a RPG. But then again, you know, if we're only talking about you're playing as the leaders of the individual groups, then that's only five people. And that's pretty limited. True. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, this is coming to Kickstarter, as all of their games do. 
in early 2021. If it's anything like their past Kickstarters, it'll get funded in one day, <laughs> and then they'll just blow it out of the water. <laughs> no pun intended originally, but now I'm taking credit for it. So, um, And they'll just add do all these kick-ass add-ons, because they always do. Very, very creative uh, bunch over there at uh, Bright Light. Bright Light. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they were, before they started doing games, they were like, what, marketing or something like that? Uh, well, it's Bright Light and Media, so I think they were just doing like graphic arts and stuff. I don't know. God. But they were, I don't think they were like in business for themselves. They were just like, they took clients and yeah, yeah. did pr- promotional stuff. So, yeah. And, you know, I mean, it seemed this, this must have been like our first or second year we had them on, right? Well, the game came out in 2015, so yeah, it must have been early on in the show. Um, so it's it's been forever since the, since we've talked with them. But I'm so I'm trying to remember what we talked about. But yeah, I know they're they're based in DC, mm-hmm. and yeah, they were some kind of they weren't game designers originally like they just kind of fell into that and it's i remember being so impressed with how in depth and like well crafted the game was yeah. for people that had never developed a board game before right so now that they have all this experience under their uh, uh under their belts yeah i got to imagine this is going to be pretty astounding i want to buy all their other games but like right now, when we can't uh, hang out money. with, right now when we can't hang out with people, it doesn't really seem worth it. I'm just like, oh yeah, I can buy the game, and then have it sit in my closet for a year. Yeah, it. I keep wondering if they're gonna like try and develop some kind of virtual version. Yeah, seems like it would be an easy translation. I mean, if Monopoly can do it, sure. Yeah. I imagine they don't have that pun intended monopoly money. <laughs> okay, so that's going to do it for our business, guys. Hope you had a good time. Oh, floatthegame.com if you want to read more about it. Oh, I did not say that already. Or not read more about it because I just told you everything is on there, but, uh, you know, <laughs> keep up to date. And, uh, yeah, go to the Kickstarter. Give them some, some money. Eventually, when they launch it. It's not launched yet. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that's horror business, and now we're going to talk about some movies. Some Lovecraft movies. All right, like we said at the top of the episode, we're going to be talking about two Lovecraftian films. No, we were talking about two H.P. Lovecraft films. Yeah. We we specifically wanted to make sure we did films based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft, not just inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft. It's weird, though. There's not a lot of them. Uh, well, uh, there's, there's not. Most the, of them we've already done. There are quite a few, but a lot of them are old. True. Um, so, but, um, you know, it's like this one, or the two we watched, we watched uh, Cthulhu and uh, Color Out of Space. Now, there is a story called Color Out of Space, and there is a story called The Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. But they're, 
the the movie Cthulhu is not based on that. Is not based on that. No, it's actually based on the shadow over Innsmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Which apparently angered some people. <laughs> I guess it does seem a little bit like a bait and switch. But, like, you know, the, the people have talked for so long about how unfilmable uh, Cthulhu would be just because of the sheer size Magnitude, of him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know what I'm saying? It's like if uh, fucking uh, South Park can do it, then why <laughs> why not uh, you know a major film studio? They can CGI anything. Like, come on, fucking a. And like the Call of Cthulhu doesn't even really have a lot of Cthulhu in it. Is it like Godzilla? Hmm? Is it like Godzilla? It doesn't actually have that much Godzilla in it. Yeah. It's more about, it's like a story about finding Cthulhu. I don't know. Like, again, I'm not going to pretend that I'm any kind of expert. So. We should have gotten like an H.P. Lovecraft expert. I know. We should have. Or, like, t- or like, two. Hey. <laughs> we're like, hey, guys, you want to be on the show today? <laughs> because it would be great for us not to be completely talking out of our ass. We could even pick a couple of movies that you could help us talk about. Instead of picking two movies that we would maybe know something about. We're not bitter. (laughs) This isn't anger. This isn't anger. Okay. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, which one do you want to talk about first, Taylor? Let's talk about Cthulhu. something for you. What is it? Every generation of Marsh men has died right around the 1st of May. We love you, Russell, but nobody understands you. You made me what I am. We just wish you could raise a family. Why? I wasn't raised in one. That's all. God forbid you see something through or give somebody a second chance. What did you expect? This isn't my life anymore. <laughs> Look at this. this it's, it's not writing. It's not a language. There are names on the wall that go back a hundred years. Kind of tell me, your father and his church, they're, they're killing people. What about all the people that go missing? They're all gonna die without you. I don't know what they were. They were things, and they were on the ground, they were on the ceiling, everywhere. They came out of the sea and killed lots of people. My son. This is your rightful place. When they're going into the sea, that was their plan all along. Go, go, go! Do it, 
Russell, make sacrifice! Family is family. I don't know any of you, I don't know you! We'll take you back. All right, I'm going to do my best to remember as much as I can about this movie. It was a little all over the place. A little bit, yeah. Um, This is from 2007. Uh, directed by Dan Gildrack, who actually put the entire movie on YouTube. So, thanks. It's weird because you can watch it for free, or you can rent it from YouTube. It's like, <laughs> why would I do that? It's like, am I that nice of a guy? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, it's nice to watch it for free, knowing that the director put it on there, and it's not just like some, you know, yeah. who bootlegged it or something yeah i mean you know when we first started the show we admittedly did a lot of i wouldn't say a lot we did our fair share of uh less than honest viewing yeah and since then we've changed our ways but there does come a time every once in a while where we can't find the movie other than some bootlegged version that is on youtube and it's just like that's how the world works. That's how the cookie crumbles. Yeah. I mean, usually if it's on YouTube, it's like public domain or something. But yeah. Anyways. Um, so this, like we said, it's called Cthulhu, but it is, it's based on the shadow over Innsmouth from HP Lovecraft. Unlike most HP Lovecraft movies, including the shadow over Innsmouth, which takes, they all take place in new England. This takes place right here in the Pacific Northwest. It's actually filmed here, too, because I know um, uh, Gildark is a local director. Yeah, and, and I mean, the opening scene is this guy's apartment, which is right downtown, and you can see the, the public market sign out his window. Are those even there anymore? I don't think so. I was like, like, I'm looking at it, I'm like thinking of the location, and I'm like, I, where where are they? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure they tore all that down to build like the market expansion but i could be wrong i don't know um but this is i mean before we jump into things this is actually filmed all over the place um here in washington and in oregon mm-hmm. um seems like a lot of it in astoria yeah it seems like the 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 real life town of astoria is kind of the the stand you know the stand-in for uh R- river's mouth yeah, they don't call it Innsmouth, they call it Riversmith, or Rivermouth, Rivermouth, Rivermouth. Yeah, um, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all these filming locations, so they filmed it in, like, Des Moines, um, Issaquah, uh, where else, uh, Longview, and I'm just like, okay, well, I, I don't see any places in this movie other than Seattle, and, you know, the the, the view of Astoria, that I recognize, but I'm seeing a, con- uh, a continuous theme is that the town of Riversmouth has a very uh, old look to it, like a town that hasn't been updated in you know the better part of a century. And there are parts in all three of those towns that it is mentioned, Issaquah, 
Des Moines and uh, Longview that all look like they're like stuck in the 40s, 50s, even 60s. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if that was what they were trying to achieve is just those like old style downtown looks. Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> uh, so the center stories, the, the center stories, good one, idiot. The story centers on <laughs> the story centers on Russell who is a history professor. He's probably in his 30s, maybe early 40s. He's not a very old guy. Um, and right off the bat, he gets a phone call that his mother has died. And so he has to go back to his hometown, which is this Riversmith or Riversmouth. Uh, I think we just say Riversmouth. Do they? I don't remember them ever saying it. I'm pretty sure. Okay, we'll just say Riversmouth. Um but yeah, he has to go home and, you know, take care of the estate and everything. And he, I guess he ends up missing the funeral, so that's not part of it. But anyway, so he, you know, gets in his car and he's driving along, he's driving along. Uh, he gets to the town and like, like Tony said, the town is clearly, you know, stuck in another era. Uh, things don't look like they've been updated. It's not a very contemporary town, but as he's driving into town, he comes across this car overturned windshield shattered somehow looks like they, you know, took the turn too sharp or something and tipped over. And well, it's two guys that were 30 seconds beforehand harassing him because they know him. Oh, it was those guys. Yeah. I did not put that together. Yeah. Everybody in town knows him. Yeah. Like we said, this is his hometown and everyone that lives there is like people he knows. Yeah. And they know him because he left town because he was the only gay guy in town. And everybody knew that about him. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've been in small towns or grew up in a small town, you know how they can be. Yeah. So, So, yeah, he has this, like, moment where he's, like, trying to help these kids get out of the, well, not kids, but these people, these two guys get out of their vehicle and then it just kind of like cuts forward. And you don't really get closure on that. Yeah. Um, but he goes to the. It's. I don't know what they were doing there. Was it the, was that just the will reading when he first meets his family? Yeah, I think it was the wake. Okay, because he sa- he specifically says, "I'm sorry, I missed the funeral." But yeah, I mean, you know, wakes typically follow immediately after a funeral so i assume that's probably what it was okay we're introduced to his sister uh danny who apparently the, this actress was on Mad Men. she's um um mike's mom on stranger things Car- oh really carabuano um it's funny because like i was watching this with cheese and she was just like is this like a amateur movie i was like yeah you know more or less and then she came on and she was like, wait, she's a real actress. And I was like, <laughs> the fuck? She's like, I didn't mean it like that. But <laughs> um, and then we're also introduced to Russ's dad, who clearly they're estranged. And, it, and his dad is wearing this purple jumpsuit. And not like purple rain jumpsuit. But <laughs> it's, like, it's like he's draped himself in velvet. <laughs> I love the way it feels against my skin. Um, and yeah, they're very kind of standoffish with each other. 
Um, I guess that's really all that happens in this scene. Nothing really of importance, right? Yeah, I mean, he's he's there because his sister asked him to be the executor of his mother's account. Right. And so he's there begrudgingly because he hates his hometown because everybody hates the gay guy. Um, and, uh, you know, he's there because he loved his mother. Um, but he doesn't like his... Well, he kind of has like a, you know, an estranged, strained relationship with his sister and is very uh you know his his father is very religious it kind of comes off right off the bat mm-hmm. um and you know a lot of religion does not play nice with homosexuals so right <clears throat> you can imagine how that father-son relationship is so that's kind of where his his family life is standing and why he really doesn't want to spend more time in river's mouth than he has to so, yeah, and then uh, we're introduced to Mike, who is a childhood friend of Russ's, and uh, it seems like there's a little something more to that relationship. Stolen glances, they jerk off together. Yeah, he has like this, yeah, like a flashback where they're standing underneath the pier, and yeah, like it starts with them, like because uh, he goes to the pier which we'll, we'll circle back around to that but he's like walking under the pier and yeah he has this flashback and it shows them wearing like waiters walking under the pier and they're like talking about all these girls that they think are hot and then all of a sudden next thing you know they're naked jerking off next to each other it's like oh what about heather locklear though and, oh yeah <laughs> Thank you. okay <laughs> i mean everybody's friendship is different i guess yeah. <laughs> just for you know just so it's out there, Taylor and I have never jerked off next to each other. No, we go back to back. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, like I said, he, he goes down this pier and there's this warehouse at the end of the pier. And he goes in there and he, he's having these flashbacks of something. I don't. It, there's a woman screaming. And stuff, but I, I felt like I kept waiting for them to explain that flashback later in the movie, and I don't feel like they ever did. There's a a lot of stuff that I don't know. Maybe would make more sense if we we're familiar with the source material. From what I right. gather, this is not really all that similar. Um, yeah, it does say loosely based on. Yeah, I know. Just from what I've read about uh, the Shadow of Ainsmith. Uh, that the, the the narrator, the main character, and it seems like to be a common thread along a lot of Lovecraft stories is just not necessarily nameless, but kind of an inconsequential inco- person. Mm. And the whole family aspect isn't, isn't there. Oh, really? Er, no, sorry. I take that back. He, the guy is in town... I think trying to find his heritage, like he's like doing some kind of like uh, genealogical research or something. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So again, I have not read the book. I've kind of read synopses and kind of briefed myself on it. So if that's wrong, don't hold it against me. Yeah. And from, from what I understand is he goes back to this 
small town and he's an outcast. He's treated very much like an outcast. He's very, people are very kind of standoffish to him, but just because he left. And whereas like this town is very kind of, you know, the greater good <laughs> kind of, um, but you know, then this, uh, Gildark turned it into, he's outcast because he's gay. Much more modern. Sure. Um, I'm sure Lovecraft would fucking hate it. <laughs> uh, Irony. Where was I? Oh yeah. So he goes to this warehouse and he has this flashback, but he sees these names written all over the, the walls and the floors. And he's, it, it's bizarre, whatever it is. And he, he sees one name that he recognizes, which is Mike's, but then he hears people coming and he looks out the window and there's these, they look like monks. They're all like wearing, you know, hoods and gowns and stuff, carrying candles, just marching down the pier <laughs> very conspicuously. <laughs> yeah. But I guess maybe in this town, people are just like, oh, yeah, that's just, you know, the cult. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you were planning to get to this later, but his, his, Russ's dad is the leader of this cult. Yeah. Uh, I, like, yeah. I, I was, yeah, I was going to get to it. But. Oh, okay. Now it's out there. <laughs> Thanks. Um, by the way, we're going to spoil this because it's more than five years old. Yep. Uh, let's see. What happens after that? I thought spoiling is going to really do anything. <laughs> it's just like, what? <laughs> um, so he gets in this boat and like rows under the, the pier and somehow nobody sees him or hears him. They're all just very focused on their candles. Yep. Um, so that night he has the dream about his dad and this, uh, like stone and he wakes up and the stone is actually in his bed and it's got some kind of weird carvings on it. And ah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's trippy, man. It's a rock. It's my bed. <laughs> How did he get here? It's that kind of thing. Yeah, basically <laughs> that's, he says that, um, <laughs> But so he takes it to the bar and he asks Mike and this other uh, s- sailor <laughs> gentleman. Well, yeah. That, I mean, the, the the town is a fishing town. Yeah. So there's just old curmudgeon sea salt dried <laughs> semen. <laughs> semen. <laughs> dried semen. Dried <laughs> semen. Just crusty old semen. Um. Yeah, this guy's name is Zadok. But so he says, you know, hey, I found this in my bed in my hotel room. And this guy, Zadok, he basically, you know, old Ralph's it for us. And he's just like, oh, here's the story of this whole thing. And it's funny because he shows it to Mike and Mike's like, huh, weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then, yeah, Zadok takes it and he's like, oh, let me tell you the whole story. And then the bartender's like, you're drunk. Get out. (laughs) And Zadok's like, all right, that's fine, whatever. And uh, so then Danny and uh, Susan, her friend Susan, show up to the bar. Susan is played by Tori Spelling. Another real actress. (laughs) Well. (laughs) And it's funny because like Danny shows up with Susan and then she's like, well, I got to (laughs) go. Like right off the bat. Like, why did you even show up? Yeah. But so her and Mike leave and 
Susan clearly wants Russ's D. Yeah. She's got to know he's gay. That's never really. Like everyone knows, right? Like, I thought that was the whole thing. It's like, like it's why he left town. Like, you, you know, you're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. But she, she even says, like, you know, you know, in school, I like, I thought you were hot and stuff. It's like, well, sorry. <laughs> then she's just like, we're having a barbecue tomorrow. Why don't you come by? First, she's like, we're, we're going to be swimming in the pool. You should come by. And he's like, oh, I'm afraid to swim. Or Danny's like, he's afraid to swim. And she's like, all right, well, we're having a barbecue. He's like, all right, fine. I'll come to your fucking house. <laughs> Great. Okay. Just leave me alone. <laughs> um, then as he's leaving, Zadok, like, tackles him, pulls him into the um, into the, an alley. And he's like, go buy me a bottle and a six-pack of Rainier, and I'll tell you everything. <laughs> and Russell's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Seems fair. So he goes to the liquor store and he buys a bottle and a six pack. And the clerk girl, she says, "You know, don't forget your receipt." And written on the back of the receipt, says, "Don't talk to him." So he's like, "All right, that's weird." Who? Yeah. And then like I, this guy walks in right at that moment. I think Russ is just like, "Oh, don't talk to that fat guy." <laughs> he's like, "All right, I won't talk to him. I'm leaving." <laughs> like, I, that works out great because I wasn't going to. Yeah. I don't even know that guy. <laughs> I'm um, going to go talk to this crazy old seaman, though. <laughs> this crusty old seaman. <laughs> yeah, so he goes and talks to the crusty seaman. And uh, Zadok just starts screaming about how people were coming out of the ocean and they were killing people and they killed everybody. And like I said, just kind of old Ralphs and gives us the whole backstory. Gives us all the uh, the exposition. Yep. And... So then Russ is like, all right, well, I'm going to go back and get this clerk girl. I don't understand why. No, he just goes back and he's just like, get in the fucking car. Yeah. And she's like, no. The whole exchange there was so weird. It's like, get in the car. No. Get in the car. No. What's your name? <laughs> she's like, Julia. And he's like, well, I'm gay. Get in the car. <laughs> it's like, my name is Russ. Here's my license. Get in my car. Like I'd be so flustered to be like, okay. I guess this means I get in the car now. Uh so she does. She finally gets in the car. Get in the car. What's your name? Where's your mom? <laughs> That's exactly what it reminded me of. Oh. Um neat. Uh, shit. So they get in the car and they're driving along, they're driving along and you see what looks like a white tree branch float in front of the car. And this girl, Julia, she's like, oh, you got to watch out for elk. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, that was no elk. And he gets out of the car and she's like, oh my God, we got to leave now. She starts losing her shit. Yeah. She's like, we're in danger. We're going to get hit by a car. <laughs> And he's just like, okay. And then he takes her to her house. Like, Chill, bitch. Damn. He takes her to her house and she's like, okay, bye. And he's like, wait, wait. Like, I thought you had something to tell me. And she's like, no, I gotta go. And then she like runs back to the car and it's just like, my little brother is missing. Please help me find him. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> and he's just like, what is this woman? <laughs> she's like, I'm so confused. <laughs> I don't understand anything about her. She gives me this note, and then I yell at her to get in my car, and she doesn't want to get in my car. <laughs> I know. Weird, right? 
<laughs> but so he gets in a big fight with his dad, goes back to the the warehouse at the dock, and he ends up finding the kid there who is blind. Oh, I didn't catch that. I totally missed it. Yeah, he had one of those sticks. <laughs> you know those blind sticks? Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's just like staring at this. I mean, he's staring at nothing because he's blind. But he's, <laughs> his face is pointed at a TV that's just all staticky. And he's like telling Russ, he's like, you know, the, what does he say? Like the third eye goes blind too or something like that. Something about the third eye or the My, inner eye. Or mind's eye, I think. Mind's eye, yeah. yeah. I think just the mind's eye gets lost too or something like that. Right. <clears throat> uh, there's so much exposition here. I just I can't fit it all in my head. Yeah. And he's just like, we're waiting. And Russ is like, for what? And he's like, Cthulhu. Which I'm pretty sure is the only time that word Cthulhu is ever said in this entire I movie. I think so. Yeah. Because then they hear somebody coming. And so they run off and they run into the basement, which has this whole underground tunnel. With these giant lizards in it. Yeah. They kind of look like... Um, uh, fuck, what was that movie we watched? Um, the Ass Demon. Bad Milo. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember a movie called The Ass Demon. <laughs> um, yeah, just these weird creatures. And then he ends up... He goes through a manhole and comes out. And the manhole has Cthulhu on it. It's got this big, like, squid-faced guy. Uh, it's like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but not really, because there's not actually any Cthulhu yeah. anywhere in it. And so then he, like, starts freaking out, and he tells Mike, he's like, you know, what the, what the fuck is going on? There's just weird shit, and there's these lizard people, like the Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the next day, he... I'm pretty sure I'm just saying all of this out of order, but I'm kind of saying it as I'm remembering it. <laughs> uh, he he goes to Tori Spelling's house and she's like, this is my husband. He's in a wheelchair. His dick doesn't work. Let's go upstairs. You can see where this is going. Right. <laughs> just uh, he his his dick does work, but he took a piece of rebar to the balls. <laughs> and so uh, how does he phrase it? Something like I can I can make a call but nobody's on the other end or something like that. Something like that, yeah. So, yeah, she tries to, to bang Russ, and he's into it at first. Which, I mean, I can't speak for gay people, but I feel like I'd find that insulting, <laughs> that that you could just be flipped like that. Yeah. <laughs> but then he's just like, no. But he doesn't. he never says, like, I don't want to do this, I'm gay. It's like, your husband is downstairs. That's the reason he doesn't want to do it. Right. So he goes downstairs, and the guy's just like, so did you fuck her? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, she wants a baby, and her husband can't dial out. So they they want him to impregnate her. They offer him money. Much money. (laughs) I'd be like, okay. (laughs) 50K to bang Tori Spelling? That's it. I'd do it. I mean, that's all I have to do. <laughs> but he he doesn't want to do it for whatever reason, um, because he's got his morals or something <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so they drug him, and Tori Spelling rapes him. 
Ja. Um. Oh, what else? What else? What else? He does go visit his aunt at one point, who is crazy. She's uh, she's in some kind of facility, Arkham or in Arkham, Arkham Asylum. Yeah, yeah they, like <laughs> never say Arkham Asylum, but it's apparently. Or no, no, no. Sorry, no, no. Arkham is not mentioned in this. I'm just I'm thinking of the original story. Never mind. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, his his aunt doesn't really do any good. She's like, go to the house. Don't you go to the house. <laughs> that scene. Okay, bye. <laughs> that scene came and went, and I was like, did something just happen? You're like, what was the point of any of that? <laughs> and they never mention her again. No. <laughs> Which I feel like is kind of a reoccurring theme in this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, But eventually... Mike and Russ, they find uh, the the clerk girl's uh, brother dead. Yep. And so uh, they end up arresting Russ for his murder for whatever reason. (laughs) Did you get why they thought he had murdered him? Uh... No, <laughs> they, they, I guess, it's because at the time it's just like yeah, that just might as well happen. They they auctioned off his mom's house and he ended up losing it to uh, to Agent Smith from the Matrix. <laughs> and then he's like tries stopping him and asking him all these questions, and the guy just takes off. And then all of a sudden the cops show up and they're just like, "You're arrested for murder and rape of a child." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what did I miss?" <laughs> So they take him away. Like, and they, but no, I just got raped. <laughs> uh, they lock him up. And as he's locked up, some kind of riot breaks out. Yeah, like all over the world. I guess that's something that we kind of skipped over is like the movie opens up and you're hearing all these like radio and news broadcasts about the world just going to hell. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> but, but I mean... Like talking about like the polar ice caps melting and like hear something about like the last um, free roaming polar bear died. It's just like, oh, wow, things are going bad. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody or something breaks into the the jail, smashes in his door, and then just kind of takes off. So he just kind of waits out for it to quiet down and he's just like all right <laughs> sneaks out the door and just walks out of prison uh where he sees tori spelling he chases her down and he's like hey what the fuck <laughs> we gotta talk but about then, earlier but then her husband jumps him from behind and he can walk and he stabs her stabs him with um some kind of needle and in- injects him with something that makes him go night night Sleepy juice. Make some go memes. <laughs> and he wakes up and he's surrounded by all these people. And his dad starts telling him, hey, you know, you're, this is your world now. You're going to be the leader. And you have babies already. They're, <laughs> they're in the bathtub. I don't know. <laughs> I guess Tori Spelling's babies. I, that's, I mean, I guess so. 
I mean, you have to make that assumption because it's never really explained. Right. I assume these people are the old ones that that Lovecraft talks about all the time. Well, the old ones are the, are the gods, I think. Yeah, but the, I think these people represent them in this. Well, I think they're just the worshippers of Cthulhu, like they're like the cult of Cthulhu. Um, I don't know, but so, well, somehow he's already got babies that disgust him. When his dad is like, "You want to see your children?" and he shows them to him, he's like, "Oh!" <laughs> <laughs> and he goes to run outside, but when he opens the back door, he's like, on the beach, right out into the ocean. Right near the beach. Right near the beach. Hi. Um, and he just kind of has this like cathartic moment where everything just makes sense. And his dad tells him, you know, that the, the world is ending. And, and he's dressed like Neo. Yeah, all of a sudden he's dressed like Neo. <laughs> and he's like, you know, we're, we're going to go walk back out to the sea. And meanwhile, these zombie people that are walking out of the sea. I was like, wait, are they in or out? Like, what's... Is there the night shift or... <laughs> He says, but we need a sacrifice. And so he grabs Mike and he's like, you know, hands him the, the, the stone. And he's like, you got to do it. You, gotta, you have to sacrifice. And so he cocks his arm back and then the, the movie fades to black. Yeah. And you hear like a thwack, but you don't know who did he hit? Did he hit Mike or did he hit his dad? We'll never know. No one will ever know. The world may never know. That's fine. So there it is. That's Cthulhu. Just a shade under two hours. Yeah. Long. Very long movie. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Why is this movie so long? <laughs> um, no, sir. I didn't like it. As a movie, it's not bad a horror movie it's not not really no i mean it has certain themes and certain events that are horror-esque horror adjacent but overall it's hard for me to classify this as a horror movie it's the the underlying themes are more about like acceptance and uh not fitting in but I don't know. I don't know where you're going with that. No. Well. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. It just felt like it used most of Lovecraft's story as uh, metaphors as opposed to like literal until the end. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I could see. I applaud the effort. I guess. Um, but all in all, it just didn't really work all that well. Um, I think this was a movie that needed uh, more of a budget. Um, case in point, the movie that we almost watched, no, not going in, not knowing going into this, this is Dagon, by the way. This is like the same movie. Oh, really? <laughs> it's the same story. Dagon's based on the Shadow of Rinsma too. Oh. Uh, that one was directed by Stuart Gordon and produced by Brian Yuzna, same guys that did Bride of, or did Reanimator. Uh, so that's what we could have had. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But no, I mean, like I I applaud the effort. Um, but like I said, this definitely needed uh, a little more juice behind it. Um, my biggest complaints about it were, uh, I mean, the acting. Um, I thought the lead was was good. <laughs> The lead, you know, when, when you have a strong lead, you kind of expect that they're going to elevate the rest of the cast, and it, that didn't really happen. No. The rest of the cast was, I don't know, they each had their moments, but as a unit, cohesively, it just didn't work. Yeah, like I agree the, with that. Like, if you had, like, multiple people in a room... So, you know, supposed to be having like a conversation, exchanging dialogue rather than monologuing. It, it's it seemed fake. It, it was like eating paper, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, another like my and I think probably even a bigger complaint than that was the sound design because um, the loud parts were too loud and the quiet parts were too quiet. Mm. And I found I was turning the volume up and down the entire movie. And I fucking hate that. <laughs> I want to be able to put my remote on the coffee table and leave it alone for the entire movie. But I had to hold it in my hand the entire fucking thing, turning it up and down, up and down. Um, and it irritated the shit out of me. Um, and it was shot well for an amateur film. But if I was going to say, like, this is a, like a, even a small studio film i'd say this you should have fired a different cameraman because a lot of i mean they had some boom shots that looked pretty nice um there's a lot of close-ups in it yeah i don't know why but i feel like these like micro budget movies always feel like when someone's talking we need to be like tight in on their face we we don't um i i think it's probably because they're trying to create the and maybe they were doing multicam, you know, shooting from multiple angles, but that may have been them trying to create the image that they were instead of just shooting each side of the conversation individually. Maybe. Like I said, it happens a lot in, in like these micro budget movies. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you got to use camera tricks when you only have one camera, but sure. Not saying that that not saying that was the case. I don't know. I don't know what their production looked like. I don't know what their budget was or whatever. But there were some just technical issues that I had with it. Um, most of all, you know, the story was fine. Um, it got a little confusing. Yeah, that was my biggest thing. Is I I don't again I don't know how much of this is from the story, mm-hmm. but I definitely feel like there was some things that could have been kind of streamlined, like the whole thing with the the clerk. I don't really understand what her point was other than to introduce the the kid, which led to him getting arrested. Yeah. But like we talked about, he just like shows back up while she's waiting for the bus and starts screaming at her to get in the car. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it just seems so out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, it got a little too artistic, you know, or not artistic, but just artsy. Like, you know, a lot of like, Long, sullen silence, you know, like like there were scenes where Russ was just having these uh, dreams of him walking along the beach. It's like, we can cut these in half 
and keep the story moving here. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of kind of strange dream sequences. Yeah. <clears throat> Which makes sense with the story. Um, but it just ate up too much time. And even if they weren't necessarily long, they were just so um, empty without any like progression. There's just like, it seems like it's holding things up. Yeah. And like I said, this movie was almost two hours long and it didn't need to be that long because there was a lot of this that they could have cut out. Like, I don't know how much, like, I don't know how much, how much it would have made a difference, I guess, as far as the runtime, but. There were, you know, bits and pieces basically all over the film they could have cut out. And, um, like the opening scene, like, yeah, yeah, th- yes, I'm remembering this now. The re- opening scene, he's laying in bed and he gets a phone call, presumably from his sister, letting him know that his mom died. And he's in bed with this guy, you assume, like, boyfriend or something. But no, it's like, it's either a prostitute or just some homeless kid that he picked up. Because the kid takes off, and now he's he just, we get, like, it felt like 10 minutes of this kid just occupying the streets of Seattle. It's like, what is the point of this? Yeah. Because I thought maybe that he was going to be involved in the story at some point, but he wasn't. He just, like, gets up, and Russ is like, my mother died. And he goes... Uh, that sucks. Can I have three dollars? Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway. <clears throat> I think that's all I got. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think I think it's a well done movie. I, um, especially for what I have to assume is a minuscule budget, um. And it's, it's an interesting take on the story. You know, like I said, the changing things of, you know, making him the outcast because he was gay and not just like this weird sense of dread. And um, I, I, from what I've read, changing the ending. Um, yeah, it definitely seems like there could have been another pass across the script that could have cut out some stuff and maybe streamlined the story a little bit. Yeah. And like, I, I get that people want to take you know they want to be creative and you know be artists and be expressive in their films but like there's a certain point where you need to consider is this watchable is this going to appeal to anyone other than me because <laughs> if you're making a film for yourself then fine make it but don't expect anybody else to like it yeah <laughs> i mean this this has gotten some really good reviews though so it's gotten a lot of bad reviews too though <laughs> I know, I mean, a lot of people were angry that it doesn't have Cthulhu in it because it's called Cthulhu, and a lot of people... Go figure. Um, I, I don't know. A lot of people just didn't like the the changes that were made, but like I said, I thought I thought it was good, uh, but yeah, there, it definitely could have been better. Um, I'm going to give it a five. Yeah, I mean, like, I there are so many things I would change um, and I don't like I said if you you know if you're making a film for a certain audience that's fine but you can't really expect it to be wild widely liked um, 
and I don't know. I'm just maybe I'm on the outside looking in. I don't know, but I just I didn't really. I'm on the outside. Stop that. And I'm looking in. You stop that, or I'll end the show now. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I. I'm gonna give it a three. Okay. And say I would have rather watched Dagon. <laughs> like, had you t- I? You told me Dagon was bad. It's, 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 it's schlocky. But I would have had a better time watching that than this. <laughs> um, had I known that it was the same story. I would have said, yeah, let's just fucking watch Dagon. Um, anyway. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, next up is a movie that I guess originally came out last year, but it was more widely available this year, and we kept trying to watch it, and it just wasn't working out. We didn't want to watch it without Max. <laughs> uh... Based on the story of the same name, this is The Color Out of Space. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. Looks like a meteorite. You mean it's radioactive? I mean, it's from space, right? Meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks. How can something that big just disappear? Did you plant those? No. Ward, you come here for a sec. Oh, God. What are you doing? Shh. It's talking to me. Who's talking to you? A man in the well. It's in the static. It's in the moisture. It's in here. It's out there. And what's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That thing from the meteorite changes everything around it. Okay, so this movie, uh, like I said, is based on the short story. It's funny because both of these movies were based on novellas. Yeah. And they're both almost two hours long. (laughs) Anyway, The Color Out of Space uh, is uh, 
based on the on the novella, um, but like Cthulhu, there are some subtle changes made, mainly to the the um, the scope of the story, I guess. <clears throat> um, this was uh, produced by Spectrevision, which of course is uh, Elijah Woods' production company, um, and. Um, Directed by Richard Stanley, you know, that might be a name that maybe older people would be more familiar with because he he directed The Island of Dr. Moreau for about three days <laughs> before he was fired because his cast was an asshole <laughs> or assholes. Like, I was reading about this. Like, he, so he got hired to do The Island of Dr. Moreau. Um, they went through all the per pre-production got everything ready and you know dealing with new line sounds like it's a nightmare this is not the first story i've heard of people having trouble dealing with new line um but so he gets on set and they're getting ready to film and uh he's getting pushed back from the studio from from new line for the choices he wants to make um and the main star Marlon Brando, probably one of the most, you know, iconic and powerful actors in Hollywood, who was on his side previously, just kind of just like, you know, I'm not going to be part of this anymore. I'm not going to be part of this anymore. That's my Marlon Brando. It's not bad. Thank you. <laughs> um, he, uh, and then I guess Val Kilmer, who was like the second lead, showed up to set two days late and was just acting like a little prick. <laughs> Apparently, he was getting divorced at the time, so he was just in a shitty mood. But he was, like, second-guessing uh, Richard Stanley, and um, he wouldn't deliver the lines as they were scripted. Um, yeah, And then they, they had bad weather. And so, yeah, like, less than a week into production, he got fired. So, uh, this was his first movie back... <laughs> And that was in 1996, so he's been, or he's he's directed, but he hasn't done any features since then. Um, but uh, anyway, this is also starring Nicolas Cage, which I think is maybe the primary reason we watched this. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> we we briefly considered when we when we weren't sure if Max was going to be on the or Max and Avalon were going to be on the show. Uh, we considered making this a Nicolas Cage episode. So. I mean, there's part of me that was like, let's just wait until Willy's Wonderland comes out, and then we'll just do those movies together. Well, it's like I was saying, we could have done Wicker Man. We would have had, like, a one-two punch for Nicolas Cage, and <laughs> Nicolas Cage is awesome. <laughs> Except for his weird Donald Trump voice he starts doing halfway through this Right? Movie. I don't know. I don't know what that was about. But anyway, we started doing that. And I was like, wait, is he doing a Trump impression? <laughs> I was like, and then I'm trying to like picture Nicolas Cage doing a Trump impression. <laughs> Wig and all. Um, okay. So this movie focuses on the Gardner family. We've got Nathan, Teresa, or Nathan, the father, uh, played by Nicolas Cage. Um, Teresa, the mother, played by Jolie Richardson. Um, who you'd probably know from like Nip Tuck or uh, King Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> She's been in some other stuff. I just can't think of it right now. <laughs> uh, then we have uh, Lavinia, 
the uh, I guess middle child, right? Because Benny is the older one; he's the older son, and then Jack, the youngest. Um, they all live on a farm that was previously owned by Nathan's father. Um, and I don't know, Nathan had the brilliant idea that alpacas were the animal of the future. So now they have an alpaca farm that doesn't seem to be turning any kind of profit. Uh, Teresa's a stockbroker, <clears throat> um, of one sort or another. doesn't really, they don't get into specifics. No. Um, but, uh, yeah, just kind of living that, um, American reclusive dream. life out in the woods. Um, and uh, one day this uh, um, hydrologist, somebody said, say yeah. um, from Arkham University, uh, or no, sorry, Miskatonic in Arkham. Yeah. Uh, this is like, this takes place in Arkham, the city, the fictional city of Arkham, but like on the outskirts. Kind of like unincorporated Arkham. Um, so he comes from Miskatonic. He's a hydrologist. He's there to uh, sample the water table um, because the city's considering putting in a, a um, hydro dam. Um, and, uh, yeah, he just kind of is floating around. I mean, he's he's not heavily in this story. He kind of comes and goes. But uh, let's see. He he first runs into um, Lavinia, who's uh, she's a Wiccan, and she's out by the water doing some kind of ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, who like trying to get out of out of the town or something? It's like, hey, just just go. Well, and she's like asking for uh, uh, like health for her mom, who just had a mastectomy. Right. Yeah. And that's not even really very, uh, it, it's kind of hinted at. They don't really explicitly talk about it. Yeah, she ta- she mentions her mom having cancer, and then later they talk about her surgery. But they don't ever, I don't think, explicitly say it was a mastectomy. Yeah, I mean, there's a part it's where Nathan... Where where Nathan and Teresa, they're kind of getting fresh on the on the deck of the house, and... Um, and she's kind of like, you know, kind of brushing him off a little bit. And he's like, come on, it's been six months. Don't you think we should try? And he's like, or she's like, yeah. I think she says something like, do you still find me attractive? And she's like, hey. and he says, do you find me sexy? This is not relevant. I mean, she, yeah, she had a mastectomy and that's kind of just there. It's not really super important to the story other than they've had some kind of like, or they haven't really had a sex life for, you know, the better part of a year. So they're trying to kind of rekindle something. Meanwhile, their kids are, you know, the youngest one, young kids are adaptable. Benny is just kind of going with the flow. He's also a stoner. So he's dealing with it that way. And, but Lavinia, she is like anxious to get out of there. Is she the oldest? Like, I don't know. I don't know if they ever say. I mean, I could go off the ages of the actor of the actors, but that's not usually a lot of help. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Anyway, so one night, um, while the family is fast asleep, actually, Nathan and Teresa are trying to bang. Uh, a meteor 
hits the earth right in their front yard. And um, they go out to look at it, and it's this just orb that is glowing with this kind of purplish-pink aura. It's putting off this immense light that just, like, is inexplicable. Um, and they just kind of leave it there because they don't want to touch it. And um, the next morning, they call out the sheriff, the mayor, um, and I don't know if they call board or if he just kind of shows up, but uh, he seems to be like their go-to science expert. Yeah, I don't know what a hydrologist would know about meteors. Yeah. He's like bored. Apparently a lot, though. Yeah. He, <laughs> he shows up, he's like, oh, it looks like some kind of meteor, right? Yeah. He's like, the, he gets there, and the sheriff's like, Ward, come here and check this out. He's like, well, you know, usually meteors beat, burn up in the atmosphere. You know, basically saying stuff that you, like, you learn on the Bill Nye. Um, <laughs> it's just like, okay, yeah, great. Yeah, meteors burn up in the atmosphere. Sometimes they don't. What else? Why was it purple? <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, of course, at this point, it's kind of burned out. It's just, it almost just and it, like it, a it mound stunk, of ash. Apparently, yeah, it's just later on. Nathan describes it like as the a... purple water in Paraguay. Yeah, man, fucking weird. <laughs> um, yeah, Nathan, later on, Nathan describes it as the smell of death. So that's fun. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, you know, of course the media hears about it and they come out and they start interviewing Nathan, making him look like a total jackass on the news. Um, that, was, that was one of my favorite scenes because he's just like, no one could have given me a comb. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's just like, were you sober when this happened? And he's like, well, you know, I enjoy bourbon from time to time. And <laughs> at the bottom, it's like, uh, it's like eyewitness slash bourbon enthusiast or something. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that. <laughs> But I, like, there's this part where like, you know, down below his name, he says, uh, you know, says UFO witness. He's like, I didn't say it was a UFO. <laughs> you said UFO. <laughs> I never said UFO. Um. Anyway, that night, uh, Nathan and Lavinia see uh, this pink lightning striking the meteor. Like it's like like it's a lightning rod. Just there, like the lightning is being directed towards the meteor. And like, they're they're kind of taken aback by it a little bit, but mostly they're just like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, they're a little calmer than I think I would be. Yeah, and I don't know if that's like the influence of the meteor that's already kind of starting to take hold or what. But man, for like half a second, I thought you were saying media, but like, like with an R at the end, like some kind of a hillbilly. <laughs> oh, that's the meteor. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <clears throat> so, uh, Ward, uh, is then he, he's so, I mean, obviously he's there testing the water and, and um, he keeps, or he, he's taking samples from all over the place and he's finding that this well, the water from this area that's being delivered from a well that's coming off the water table is getting like this oily oil slick on it, basically. And that's turning purple smelling. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and he says, you know, that, that would be normal for certain parts of the year where the water table is low, but right now that shouldn't be going on. Um, so he goes to, you know, run further tests on it. Um, 
and you know he's starting to tell everybody not to drink the water and um I'm trying to without like going through the entire story I'm trying to pick out the important parts um they meet Tommy Chong <laughs> what what did Nathan call him a squatter oh okay I thought he called him something else like yeah, he just he just lives in the shed on their property. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, just a little shack, like something like Jason lives in. His name is Ezra. <laughs> yeah, and like he's he's out in the shed or out in the in the in the stable where Nathan's milking the alpacas. Um, and he's like, "Yeah, does anybody?" He's like, "I don't think you guys should, should be drinking the water right now. Um, I'm, I'm kind of running tests. Is there anybody else that lives on your property?" And Nathan's like, oh, yeah, just our squatter. <laughs> like, that's a normal thing. Yeah, it's like, why do you have a squatter living on your property? I mean, if you don't care, that's that's your call, I guess, but... Don't call him a squatter, then. <laughs> he's a tenant. <laughs> Unless he's not paying rent, in which case he's a squatter. Yeah, I guess. So I guess he's a squatter. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd think that he would have issue with that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Tommy Chong, he's being Tommy Chong. He's just this stoner that... That lives out in the woods. Yeah, this hippie. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, like, the, the meteor starts in, like, this this energy that it's putting off is starting to have weird effects on the family. Um, they're all starting to become very kind of absent, um, you know, forgetting things, uh, losing time. Yeah, that's I think that's the biggest one is that none of them can keep track of time, and that's very subtle. I kind of like that. Yeah, there's the the lapsing of time was so subtle that even as the audience, you don't really know what's happening until somebody mentions it. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm realizing I can't spoil this. I'm trying to figure out a good stopping point. Yeah. I don't know. The meteor There's, starts having weird effects on them. I mean, it starts sprouting weird plants. Um, there's this thing in the in the bottom of the well that's like growing and like undulating <laughs> and it sprouts a like a pink or a purplish pink uh mantis looking thing mm-hmm. that just kind of flits off. <laughs> and uh, what's his name? Um, Jack. He just kind of watches it happen. Like, hey, well, Jack is. He starts talking to the man in the well, right? Which nobody knows what that is. It, it's basically just he just stands in the front yard and stares at the well, and then he'll like start laughing or something. Mm-hmm. And everybody's just like, hmm, kids, right? Yeah, what a weird kid. <laughs> um. And even Ward, the only one that's like kind of keeping his wits, like he sees uh, uh, Jack just staring at the well, and Ward's like, "Hey, bud, what are you doing?" Like, I'm, I'm playing with my friends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, you know, he, he so on his end of, of, of things, like his side of the story, he's starting to go around because he's detected there's something wrong with the water. He, he doesn't know quite what, but it's it's at a point where people should not be drinking it. 
And so he's like going around. He goes to the gardeners. Um, he goes to the mayor to tell her. It's, I don't know if you noticed it, but every time somebody offers him something to drink um, or mentions the water, he's like, uh, no thanks, but that's actually why I'm here. Like he says that like three or four times. Oh, I didn't notice. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I don't know. People, that, like, they just kind of slowly start descending into just this weird psychosis and, and madness. Um, and it, it all seems to be emanating from this meteor. And, like, the things start, like, going on the fritz, like their TV, their Wi-Fi. All yeah. starts kind of acting up. Yeah, like, basically from the start, um, Teresa's having problems with the, the, uh, the Internet. Um, you know, she's working remotely as a stockbroker. And so, you know, having up-to-date um, numbers is crucial to her job. And she's more than once in the movie, she talks about how she's just um, losing clients left and right because she can't keep up. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, they can't get calls out. Um, and yeah, bit, yeah, basically all the electronics are just on the fritz. PP the fritz. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else I should mention? Uh, not without giving anything away. Okay. I really like the subtlety of how it starts out. Because, <clears throat> like, the, the first thing you notice is just, like, one or two of these little purple-pink flowers. Mm -hmm. At one point, Nathan describes that he says it's a color he's never seen before. So it's it's a color out of space. <laughs> But I mean, to us, it's to like, us, it's a it's a pinkish purplish. Yeah. What's um magenta? Magenta, that's the word. Yeah, but at first you just kind of see one or two of these flowers, and then there's just more and more as they grow, and they start growing on the ground, on the trees. Yeah, I'm not any kind of flower expert, but I don't botanist. That's the word. Uh, it's not anything I can recall ever seeing. So I I think it must have been something they made for the movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like you know, all, all all of the greenery starts turning this weird shade of magenta. It's like a T-Mobile color, right? <laughs> Basically, the whole world is being taken over by T-Mobile. It was a T-Mobile meteor. It was all just a giant T-Mobile ad. <laughs> One hundred and eleven minute long T-Mobile. <laughs> Uh, T-Mobile make you go crazy. Hey, and you can't get calls out either. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Boom roasted. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, um, it was a, it was a good movie. Again, I'm not familiar with the, uh, the, the original story. I read about it briefly. It seems like I said, you know, it's, it's adapted, um, to f be more family centric than it was in the original, um, but uh, sorry, I'm just floating around here. <clears throat> but it was it was well done. It was uh, quite the visual spectacle. Yeah, for sure. Very. Like I, said, I I really like how it starts out so subtle, which then just makes it when everything just kind of goes batshit crazy. Yeah, makes it more of an event. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got which is also when Nicolas Cage gets turned on. 
Because the the first half of the movie, he's very much just a, a, a regular guy. Yeah, he's just. And then at one point, they're just like, "All right, now be Nicolas Cage." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I'm a sexy cat." <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, we get two pretty exceptional cage rages in here. The one in the car, and the one in the car and in the kitchen. Oh, the when one in the car is so good. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like he doesn't do anything uh, really. Out of the ordinary, he's just very explosive. Like he's like trying to start the car, and he's like at first he's just like, "Come on, come on," and he's just like, "Cock sucker, cock sucker, cock sucker, cock sucker," <laughs> <laughs> and he starts screaming "cock sucker" over and over again. Um, and then like he has his garden that apparently he's like, oh yeah, <laughs> he's like he he's growing. Uh, I think he's got peach trees and tomatoes. And you know he's out in the garden. He's picking these tomatoes, and then there's just these giant, freakish-looking potatoes or potatoes, tomatoes. Um, and then he goes over to the peach tree, which you know those look normal to me. <clears throat> but he starts taking bites out of them while his wife is trying to get on him about the Wi-Fi again. He's taking bites out of these things like a like a hand fruit. Yeah, the tomato never took off as a hand fruit. <laughs> Um, in the Seinfeld. No, I got it. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> um, and uh, apparently they just taste awful. So he starts losing his mind because he's like, I followed all the goddamn instructions. He's just like biting and spitting and biting and <laughs> spitting and biting and spitting. And then he's like slam dunking these things into the garbage can. <laughs> Doesn't he even yell slam dunk at one point? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I think he might have. Maybe I was mistaken. Oh. Um, but he's, he's quite upset. <laughs> he feels like he was owed a good garden because he followed every single instruction <laughs> and they still taste like shit. Um, but anyway, yeah, so much, some, some quality, uh, Nicolas Cage, which is, you know, all you can really ask for from a Nicolas Cage movie. Um, but he, like... It seemed at first he actually wasn't even in the movie all that much. I think like a lot of screen time was mostly devoted to like the kids. Lavinia, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I thought I thought Benny was uh, young Neil at first. <laughs> he looked familiar, and maybe I thought it was the kid that played young Neil. I don't know. He was on the OA. I don't know if you watched that. But. I watched a couple episodes, and, and then Jack was on House on Haunted Hill, or House, the Mike Flanagan one. Uh, haunting, haunting of Hill House. Hill House. Yeah, um, yeah, the words right, sort of. <laughs> um. Anyway, no. I, so I can't talk much about the story, but it's 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 a it's a good, well made movie. It's it's very um, nice to look at. It's it very tracks very much with the Spectrovision feel. Yeah. Very uh neon. Yeah. Um and uh you know, it wasn't too off the wall. You know Lovecraft stories can tend to get a little weird. I mean, case in point Cthulhu. Uh you know, where it's like I'm not even tracking the story anymore because there's just so much shit that doesn't make any sense. This one was actually pretty grounded. I don't know how much of that was just how much they changed from the adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I was able to follow the story much better. Um, 
and uh the the cast all worked very well together um the effects are really good too yeah especially towards the end you know you don't get when you when you think of a lovecraft movie like we said earlier you know you think of like tentacles and slimy shit and weird you know like from beyond yeah yeah and you finally kind of start to get that more towards the end of the movie mm-hmm. so that's refreshing um and um, it, it got to a point where I kind of like forgot that it was Lovecraft because it was it's basically just this color taking everything over. And yeah. It's like that's very subtle for Lovecraft. <laughs> and then it, all of a sudden you're just like, oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. Uh, yeah. And just the cast, the cast did really well. I, I don't really know what to say, I guess. I can't do a deep dive into it because I don't want to talk about spoilers. Right. Um, I feel like they overused Ward a little more or a little too much, like made him seem like just this overarching scientist instead right. of like a water specialist. <clears throat> um, and Ward... So Ward is, uh, he's played by uh, Elliot Knight, and he is a black man, mm-hmm. and I have to wonder how much of that is deliberate. They're just like, fuck H.P. Lovecraft <laughs> and his racist ass. We're going to have one of our leads be black. Well, I mean, I think I think this day and age, you can't just cast an all white cast. <laughs> um. This was filmed in Portugal, which... Oh, wait, that was Paraguay. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I saw that when the the credits were rolling, it said, like, thank you to the film department of Portugal or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's not really super identifiable, I guess, considering most of it took place out in the woods. Um. Fuck, I, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss of what to say. Um, it was a good movie. It was, it was interesting. It was a, a visual spectacle. Um, the cast was good. The direction was good. Uh, you know, congrats for to Richard Stanley for being able to <laughs> finish a movie. Yeah, well, <laughs> but if, you know, be able to put this out when he hasn't done a feature in, you know, two decades. Yeah. Um, like I, I am not a big sci-fi fan mm-hmm. and I would say this definitely qualifies as a sci-fi more than anything. Um, science fiction, cosmic horror. Okay. Um, but I enjoyed it. I, I once things started to get very Lovecraft, I kind of started, I don't want to say I checked out, but I was kind of when I was just like, all right, this is less of what I was enjoying. I liked the the subtle bits more, mm-hmm. but that's not to say that I just like tuned out and was just like, "Oh, this movie's stupid now." Um, mm. Yeah, like like we're saying, the effects of of those scenes are gross. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially like this. There's like two things in here where there's just like these amalgamated 
beasts. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I guess there's... No, I guess it's just two. Um, and one is particularly upsetting. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all I'll say. It's just ticky. Yeah. And it's just like, sure. oh man, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> um, you get, you get three different Nicholas cages in this. Like, yeah. Yeah, you, you get your everyday cage, and then you get your raging cage. Mm-hmm. But you've also got this like quiet crazy cage. That's the dangerous cage. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, and when when he's starting to like really go crazy, it becomes very apparent because he starts using his hands a lot, uh, which you know, it seems to be like kind of one something that you expect from Nicolas Cage is go crazy, crazy with his hands. Um, but, uh, that's like something like where his, his mental break is starting to come in because he's starting to use his hands a lot. And he starts doing this weird, very over exaggerated voice. that sounds like he's doing a Trump impression. Um, and he starts like swearing at his kids and getting really belligerent. Um, which is notable because he kept getting on Lavinia about swearing. Right. Um, yeah. And it's, 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 it's a, it's a big, uh, 180 from the beginning of the movie where, you know, the first, first scene that he's on screen is Lavinia is riding up on our horse. And like, it was, this was a weird way to start the movie. Cause she's out like wearing this cloak and this long dress and she's like doing some Wiccan ritual. Yeah, it almost seems like it was a period piece. Yeah, and then she comes riding up to the house on a white horse. What is going on? <laughs> and Nicolas Cage is just sitting there on the deck, just his eyes closed, looking up and look like looking up to the sky and just the smirk on his face. And then she comes riding up and he's like, Lavinia, what did I tell you about going out alone? And where's your helmet? Where are your riding boots? So, he, I mean, he's just that kind of dad. Right. And then by the end of the movie, he's just gone full cage. <laughs> yep. He's gotten real cagey. Um, but, no, I mean, like, th- this has been really popular. It's gotten a lot of good reviews. Um, people have spoken very highly of it, and it's, I feel it's it's pretty well-deserved. Um. I mean, Nicolas Cage, as much as we like watching his movies, he's kind of become um, a, a joke, a punchline, I guess. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's he's really turning into the curve to his credit. You know, he's, he's really just taking this persona that people have given him and just really making it work for him. Yeah. Because he's, I think he's probably put out more movies in like the last two, three years than he has in the last couple decades. Um, and uh, whether they're shit or not, you know, it's like if you throw enough shit at the wall, something's going to stick. And this is the shit that's stuck. Man. 
I'm so excited for everything he's got coming up. Oh, I know. I'm so excited for Willy's Wonderland. I am. And the fucking Joe Exotic show. Oh, my God. And I forgot about that. And the movie where he plays himself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. What if it's what if it's a sequel to being John Malkovich, being Nicolas Cage? That would be amazing. <laughs> I'd want to be Nicolas Cage for a day. You just do whatever you want. People would just be like, yeah, it's just Nicolas Cage. Yeah, that's just Nick. <laughs> that's just Nick being Nick. Um But yeah, no, I I, I enjoyed the film. Um it's definitely a, a trippy thing to watch. Even though the story is pretty grounded, it's just visually very psychedelic, and um, it's got kind of almost like a Q- uh, Kubrick feel to it. Um, kind of, yeah. It's it's not as artsy as a Kubrick, but it has a certain something about it that makes it feel like a Kubrick film, to me at least. I mean, visually, it just reminded me a lot of Mandy. Yeah. Was it, was that another? Sp- no, that was Magnet. I think so. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I don't know. It's just another example of Nicolas Cage, who can do no wrong in my. No, mind. that was SpectreVision. Was it? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, there you go. Anyway, I don't. I don't keep rambling on because I'm not really saying anything of substance, but. Uh. Solid movie. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Um, it's only like two ninety nine to rent. That was weird. I was definitely expecting to spend like seven eight bucks on yeah. it, but yeah, it's. I mean, all the streaming services have it, and again, yeah, it's like two ninety nine to rent. So, fucking a, fucking a. And you can buy it for ten if you want. Um. Give it an eight. Yeah, I think eight is eight is good. Eight is great. <laughs> That's what they say. They say that about eight. They also say it about Kate. Yep. <laughs> I used to have a home with a room and a bed. A porch and a driveway and a big garage. So anyway. Uh, okay. Anyway. That's going to do it, guys, for our HP Lovecraft episode, but not salute because he's a dick. Yeah, fuck that guy. Okay. Um, Dude named his cat the N-word. <laughs> Who does that? An asshole. Uh, yep. So we're going to be back with another... Why am I doing this so badly? This Is this my style? Do I just do things badly? I don't know why you don't just do it. You you just like you start and then you're just like, oh, this is terrible. I suck. Because <laughs> I want the sympathy. No. Okay. No. Um, we'll be back with another episode in two weeks, guys. Facts. And I just picked my movie today. So, yeah. So we do have to to tell you, Taylor. What are we going to be watching? So uh, we got this ham-fisted theme. <laughs> it's like yeah, that works. <laughs> We're doing two movies uh, directed by guys known for comedy. We're going to be watching Jay Baruchel's Random Acts of Violence and that raccoon Dave Franco's The Rental. (laughs)
That fucking trash panda. <laughs> Let me go through your garbage. <laughs> get out of here, Dave Franco. Ah! I don't know how many people get that reference, but it was an old episode of this this very podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this exact podcast you're listening to now. It wasn't that old, was it? No, you, you, if you go on our Instagram and just scroll through a couple pages and look for the picture of Dave Franco... <laughs> Next to the picture of a raccoon. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> it's, it's actually a video you can watch and just listen to the part where we call Dave Franco a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> and it's completely out of context. Not That's there was really any context to begin with, I guess. I miss doing those little videos. Like, they were a pain in the ass to make, but they were so funny. Like the one where we talked about the fucking hot tub sex scene. Okay. So uh, I'm going to wrap things up now. I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> do it. Do it. Okay, guys. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode. Until then, Taylor, where can people find us? You tell you where they cannot find us is at Grave Plot Podcasts. <laughs> That's what I keep typing lately. We should buy that. <laughs> and it's just pictures of cats. <laughs> That's what people want on the internet, right? Dead ones. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Check us out at greatplotpodcast.com as well as uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts, as long as it's not Spotify. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram as Grave Plot Podcast or on Twitter as Grave underscore Plot. And of course, if you want to contribute to the show monetarily in exchange for some exclusive content, head over to patreon.com slash Grave Plot Podcast. That's us. That's us in a nutshell on the internet. No, this is us in a nutshell. Help, <laughs> I'm in this nutshell. How did I get in this nutshell? Look at the size of this bloody nutshell. Uh, 20 year old comedy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. So until next time, I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. This has been the Grief Plot Podcast, where we're all a little dead inside. Rises to 